So let's let's go with the basics of introductions. Let's go with who you are, uh, what you like to do, and what you like to do when you are not monitoring. And the first like to do was at work, and the second was not at work. Are we following this from a script somewhere? Sure, yeah. Here's a script? <laughs> what did I miss? Now it sounds like a lab record. Let's get to the introductions here. So I'm Matt Reingold. I am a monitoring and availability engineer for my new company that I'm at now. What I like to do is bring that stuff together. I'm am an anti-silo individual when I can help it. Uh, when I'm not at work, I'm obviously doing podcasts like this about 1% of the time. I'm playing video games, chasing my daughter around and trying to make it sound like I'm sane. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a, a try. All right. So uh, Zach Moochler, I'm a monitoring engineer with a uh, fairly large company. And <laughs> I, sp <laughs> I spend my time uh, at work scripting a bunch of API integrations. So I never have to do anything more than three times manually. And uh, off work... Uh, Video games, books, and chasing the kids around for, for the most part. I'm Kevin M. Sparenberg. I am the technical community manager for Thwack, which is where we all met, virtually at least. We've all <laughs> met physically since then. And uh, during my day, I like herding cats. Uh, that's what I'm technically paid for. Uh, but my favorite thing to do at work is actually try to bring disparate people together to try to come up with a solution. Now, whether it's a technical one or just a kind of discussion solution, that's fine. In my free time, I like to play like it's 1899. So I go and I shoot traditional archery and I'm taking blacksmithing classes. No, I have not built my own forge yet. And uh, otherwise it's hanging with the misses and not chasing children because I don't have any. And if I chase other people's children, I get very weird looks. Rounding out, my name is Jerry Menzel. Uh, I do a lot of different things. Um, I don't even think my role is relevant anymore for the work that I do these days. Uh, I work for a local government uh, organization. Key job uh, duties kind of revolve around uh, network and application monitoring and reliability. Um, free time, off work, uh, I like to chase cats. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mostly I keep doing uh, geeky and nerdy things uh, such as podcasting. So we, we don't have to have uh, like a check on you to make sure you're still alive if the cats decide to chase you, right? Uh, I'm working on some type of monitor for that for everybody else. <laughs> All of a sudden we'll see your Fitbit just go down. We're like, oh no, the cat's got him. <laughs> uh, the cats are smarter than that. One of them will grab it and keep running. <laughs> why is his heart rate 200 per minute he must be exercising <laughs> like crazy that'll be julie she has a propensity for uh eating electronic devices and cabling oh i really hey. hope julie is the name of a cat <laughs> now i don't know if i want to tell you <laughs> I, I approve of that <laughs> gets that gets the boom zach stamp of approval 
Go ahead. So we've been kind of kicking around the ideas, and I know there was an earlier recording, and I want to address something that Nick brought up about those swugs, and yeah, it sucked. Um, so you guys all know what a swug is. It's something that I like to do. Yeah, it's, what's a swug? Tell me what a swug is. All right, so a swug is a SolarWinds user group, and basically we get 100... That's like a blanket. It, oh, the, the swuggy. Oh, I have a swuggy, and I slept with it last night. It's so amazing. <laughs> So I know that it's it's rough. There's a it's a constantly evolving program, and I I want it to be more than it is, and sometimes it just never is. And you guys have dealt with this in your professional career, I'm sure. Maybe not wrangling a hundred people in a room, but talking about you know, just getting all the resources together and making sure everything's lined up. And sometimes all the stars align and everything is perfect. And then sometimes all the stars align and it still goes sideways. And that's kind of what we ran into in the Orlando one from last year. And it's not the format we're going for this year as much as possible. The format in Orlando was at a restaurant where we had a bar and we had TVs and it was a really split up unusual place because it was an, it was actually a great bar, but not for holding 40 plus people and actually having a discussion. So, and it didn't there. Until the second party showed up, it was fine. The problem there is an additional party came in because this was hosted at, I don't remember, Ignite, VMworld, something like that. Ah. So another party came into town for their conference, and they grabbed people. And what we had up separating the two rooms were those black curtains that you normally see behind (laughs) everything. I'm like, these are not sound barriers. So... And they, instead of having a discussion, basically turned it into a dance hall. And it was – the music was just – you had to get up like you're at a club and you're like screaming into someone's ear to have a discussion. I was like – it wasn't ideal. Like for the first hour, everything was great. And, but these things run – at least the small-scale ones, they run for four hours after – you know. Leon and I were there and we did a majority of the talking at that one. And we had been already on the show floor for six and a half, seven hours, you know, standing on the concrete, already talking. Our voices are already kind of wavering a little bit. And then they have to speak up. It was just it was a bad scenario. Now, we've had that scenario basically at every the conf- at each of the conferences, uh, even in a place like Las Vegas, where we got a room. It was completely our room. And it was locked off from everyone. It was stuck back behind the aquarium at the Mandalay. So gorgeous, gorgeous location. But the room is small. Everyone's cramped. We've got, I don't know, six or eight staff members there because that's what we normally need to run one of these events. So the percentage of staff to attendees felt really weird because we had like 35 people. But the flip side of that is this year we're doing only four. So we got, uh, we're going to Atlanta. We're going to Seattle, we're going to New York, and we're going to Chicago. And those have changed over. Those are two days, eight hours one day, and like six and a half hours the next day, and big jumps and more like a traditional conference where you get to kind of choose your own adventure. I want to go and talk about this, so I'll go into that room and talk to those people about it. So it's something that I I really wanted to get behind. And honestly, it's something I didn't know I was going to enjoy because – and this leads back ultimately, Matt, and I'm sorry it took this long – but it ultimately leads back to what we want to discuss here, but that's the soft skills. I will tell you 18 months, well, let's say two years, two years ago, I would not be the guy talking to somebody. 
I certainly wouldn't be the guy standing in front of 150 people doing a presentation trying to engage an entire room. It's something I was not comfortable with doing. I mean, I've talked to all you guys before. We've had intense, long conversations at various times, whether it's on a, a, some type of chat program or whether it's in person. But it's something I wasn't ready for, and I kind of had to force myself to do it, to build up that soft skill where I'm comfortable having a discussion in front of people. Because I've been on camera at work, I don't know, a couple of dozen times, and it's fine, but that's all super scripted. And, oh, that didn't work. You know what? We'll just pew, snip, snip, pew, and get rid of it, and we'll start over. Yeah, that's a very different scenario than it is live interaction, and, and which is also a different interaction from, like, out and intermingling with people one-on-one or five-on-one, depending on the scenario, right? Yeah, and it, it's, it's something I didn't think I'd enjoy, and... I absolutely love it. I, I love sharing the stories because I realize that, and one of the reasons I think this podcast is going to do well is we all basically have variations on a theme. And, and those aren't bad variations. Those are actually really good variations because they distinctly show how everyone's a little different, but everyone deals with the same crap. You have to talk, to, you know, and for me, I make the joke and it's really not a joke, but whenever I worked on a help desk, whenever I worked in IT, the first complaint every single time was the network is down. <laughs> it's never been the network, not the way they're talking about it, not what they envision. My other favorite one is the internet is down, which always leads me back to that picture in South Park where they have the humongous Linksys router and it's unplugged or whatever. Yep. I'm like, oh, someone's got to turn that on. But I mean, that's a, that was the first soft skill that I had to learn is I had to get over my own fear of being able to speak to more, to one, more than one audience. Now I will com- be completely honest. I'm still bad at talking to execs. I'm bad at talking dollars because I don't think in dollar scenarios. There are other people that are great at that. I think in technical problems. I like fixing technical things. But those are the biggest hurdles that I personally had to overcome to actually make this part of my career. I, I think the thing about soft skills is, yeah, it takes a lot of time to build it up, but also you have to kind of maintain it. If you don't maintain those soft skills, that stuff goes away. I mean, when I was interviewing between a bunch of positions, you know, I felt like that stuff made a, a world of difference with things I was looking at. But then when I took a break, I'm like, what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> interviewing like, itself is a soft skill. And it's lost if you've been at a career for, uh, let's say, five years. Just ballpark. You've been doing the same job for five years. You're probably not going to do a very good interview the first time you go out. Unless you're that person that really has that personality that maybe maybe it fits you all the time. But yes, aside from those, I would imagine most of the time not. So I would think that that would be kind of humorous when you think about how important that stuff is for a lot of the things we do. Like I get the I, I understand the Zach perspective where you really are maybe tired of a lot of people's crap and you don't want to go through it again but at the same time we all have to learn to work with the people we have to work with so it's still people to people especially with monitoring when people don't really know what monitoring is sometimes or just want everything monitored or don't know what that everything is yeah i mean how uh, one of the key points that i've noticed over the years because i've similarly had experiences like kevin where i went from you know, just kind of doing my own thing um, and not really needing to, I guess, realistically in interviews, just you selling yourself at some point, right? So not really needing to do that that often. 
to, you know, being thrust into a consulting role where, you know, for weeks at a time, I would just be by myself as the, you know, air quote expert on something and have to spend eight hours a day talking. And then, you know, from that going into a training role where you spend eight to 10 hours a day talking to people in a large quantity. And, you know, as a, as a somewhat introvert, right, it's, it's emotionally draining, really. And, and I think that sometimes it becomes like a, uh, you feed the beast, right? So you, you're emotionally drained, which, you know, naturally brings on negativity, which if you're not, if you don't keep that in check, which is, you know, a soft skill in itself is understanding when you're drained and when you need to step away. Uh, it, it could just keep going, you know, down a cycle. And one of the, the turning points in a lot of careers that I've watched is when you realize that's happening, right? That self-awareness and, and trying to figure out some sort of, I hate to use the buzzwords, right? But some sort of work-life balance where you can still have your decompression time, but, you know, be an effective and uh, hopefully exemplary engineer at the same time. Do you think that's a dirty word? Do you think work-life balance is, is too buzzwordy? Uh, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, buzzwords just bug me. It, it's a, it, everybody's got their pet peeves in life and, and I don't know why, but buzzwords just irritate me, which is funny because I have a affinity in my heart towards marketing people. I, I feel like uh, a lot of my major uh, focus in college was on uh, user experience research and, and how to, you know, in psychology, how to present things that'll make people want to do something. Right. And that's, um, you know, basically what marketing is and marketing is what creates the buzzwords and it still irritates me. So it's a uh, it's, it's yeah. a weird one. I, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to hide behind any assumption that it's logical. It just is what it is. Yeah. But, Zach, those same skills are also used by hypnotists. That so, is accurate. That so, is accurate. So, so, I've been, <laughs> all right, everybody, open up the buzzword dictionary. Let's go. Bingo. I'm, looking, I'm looking for the. Uh, a, a good pocket watch so I can start my second career. Yeah. <laughs> also, having clicked on a buzzword generator, this one is fantastic. It says we need to literally open. It says people in the coming year, we need to literally open the kimono on our synergy. Oh my goodness. We've got, uh, I don't want to get into it. Too deep, but we do have people in our organization right now who are, um, if you've ever worked at a very large organization, you realize that they're typically just a little bit, if not a lot of bit behind uh, the trends in the industry mm-hmm. and everything's pushing agile right now. And, you know, the rest of the industry has been doing that for a decade, but it's, there's a lot of Japanese words that are used inside of agile to like, you know, talk about things. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh I would I would not do them justice with the correct words, but you know you have like a <laughs> I think it's a gimba session, which is basically just a show me or a shadow, and we, we like to joke that those are really akimbo sessions just because they're all wonky <laughs> all the time. Uh, and then you know one of my coworkers, Josh, he's in uh, corporate office this week going to a kaizen, which is basically just where a bunch of people sit in a room for a week and try and figure out a problem. And I'm like, so you, so you go into meetings, right? He goes, no, no, it's a Kaizen. I was like, nope, no, it's a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know when I go into Outlook, I can't go new Kaizen request. Although right? I, would, <laughs> I would. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, 
having lived in Japan for a while, it's just you know really interesting to see which words they picked. And it's it's not our company that picked these words, right? These are like you know agile kind of terms that mm-hmm. were picked up uh, again as as a buzzword marketing type thing, right? Because it sounds exotic and neat. Um, Kanban. Now, as we sit here and make fun of that, are we going to see relabels inside of uh, Microsoft products? Uh, that uh, I'm thinking like Team Foundation Server or something like that, where where those are adopted. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I think exactly. if they can refer to Team Foundation Server as a Gemba, that would be kind of a hilarious rebranding. I would be yeah. all for that. So I mean, VS Code does have the uh, the shared scripting sessions now. Like so, you know, Kevin and I could pull up our own VS codes and link to each other and watch each other code live. Really? Yeah, that's a thing now. Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, I haven't told you about it because I don't have extra time in my life. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like Twitch for uh, for programmers, basically. Scripting, uh, sort of, but both of you can script, right? So it's it's uh, like peer scripting. Peer, I, you know, I, I think that it's been established that I don't ever call myself a coder, but the true term is peer coding. <laughs> so with with that in mind, like. Has that ever worked out for trying to work on something? Or you guys were like, okay, I found this one day. I'm done. <laughs> oh, the peer thing? Yeah, I, I am. So the the kind of speaking of soft skills, and you were talking about, uh, Kevin said, you know, he doesn't speak well to money. And I that hit home with me because I'm the exact same way. I, I have no problem talking to anyone. I mean, as far as like fear, I guess. And, and not that fear is a bad thing, right? We all fear something. And there's nothing to be ashamed of with that. It's just... Not in my yeah, dude. I will burn a house down if I see a big enough spider. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, is yeah, why, so, this is why we're not inv- in, inviting Carlson because he'll t- start talking about the, the drop bears or whatever. <laughs> I'll be like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, <laughs> I'll nope so, I'll my way right out of here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's it's not that I don't have the uh, capability. It's just that realistically there is absolutely nothing about finances in a company that interests me at all i have zero interest in it if there was a negative number i could probably use that mm. um it, it's just it That's doesn't fascinating doesn't turn my wheels you know I, I just don't don't care about it i care more about find me something really challenging right find me something that somebody said couldn't be done and that's the stuff that you know really drives me and the team i'm on right now it's it's really interesting that we built ourselves this way. So all, there's three of us that control all the monitoring platforms for you know a fifty thousand plus person company with over a thousand people in IT, and there's only three of us, right? And so we automate everything, but at the same time, we all do completely different things day to day. And so while we're technically all the same role, you know. One of my coworkers, who's a fellow MVP, Josh, he spends a significant amount of time doing like relationship building, right? So he interacts with outside teams, tears down silos, talks about, you know, how much money we've saved the company by doing A, B, and C to show value of our work and stuff and things that realistically, I just can't put words to that kind of stuff. Like I understand that if I can script something that takes an hour a week, then I've saved 52 hours a year. I get that. But to eloquently put that into a slide deck or a meeting is just beyond my skill set. And then our other coworker, 
Linux guru, super strong in the Linux world. He's a really solid engineer overall, but just has just that real special skill set around Linux that a lot of people wish they had. And then myself, you know, I spend a lot of time you know, pretending I know what I'm doing around PowerShell and SQL. And <laughs> it's interesting how this is quite honestly the most meshed and effective team I've ever been on. And it's because all three of us are so different but we don't bring any ego to the workplace. And I think that's huge. And, you know, we, we get in arguments and, and, you know, we, we, I wouldn't say anything emphatic, right? Like there's no disrespect thrown, but there's definitely, you know, we have our opinions and neither, no, none of us are afraid to stand by and, and protect those opinions. But at the same time, it's one of those deals where at the end of the meeting, we come to an alignment and, and we execute and there's no, there's no more, right? There's no looking back. We're, we're already looking at the next challenge past that. And that, I don't know how you put that into a soft skill word, but it's something that I've, you don't know you're searching for a team like that until you get on one. And it's just night and day difference on the previous experiences with other companies. There's part of that is certainly the personalities meshing, but it's also things like, like, are you all, in the same mindset of how to go forward. And I think those are the things that really add up to that meshing. Like, I agree with you. I've never had that before. My current job where I actually had someone else that's like, hey, SolarWinds is good. I love, we can do awesome things with it. And then actually followed through. Because I've had lots of people that are like, this sounds good. And then, hey, what happened? Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I left. I did other things or whatever. And this guy's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, this is good. Let's do this right now. Like, I don't have a lot of time, but this will save me a lot of time. Let's go. And, you know, for me, that works when I can turn it that way. The thing about the soft skill of being able to sell for money, though, I think maybe that's in the same category of you have to train up that soft skill as it would be for sales. I mean, they're all different from each other. But when I think about that, the first thing that came to mind, you know, when Kev said he's he kind of trained into being able to enjoy this is instead of work-life balance, maybe it's personality balance that you eventually develop how to balance your personality as you switch from A to B to C. Like maybe you start off being super, I want everything to be perfect. I want everybody to be awesome with my technical skill to, I want to solve the solution to I want to sell the solution to, I want to sell the solution on my management to that. All of those translate to like a different soft skill set, which you probably freely migrate between. I think it's kind of the necessity of our roles. So now all of you guys work for for profit entities. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we've, so, we've gotten calls from your sales guys, Kevin. Yeah, I don't pay. And, and for, if people don't know who I am, I was a customer for years before I drank the Kool-Aid came on. So I am also famous for ducking salespeople's calls. <laughs> None of them have told me to use uh, Kevin's email as a reply to yet, though. I've been surprised by that. Oh, no, you never do that. You use sales at solarwinds.com. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> It's really interesting hearing your perspectives from that world and how very different that is, or, or my perception of it is uh, in a more government-oriented world, or, or at least the one that I'm a part of. Um, well, what do you see skills, on your side? Those soft skills are, they're very much advertised as wanted, but when it gets down to brass tacks, they're, everyone's very much willing to forego those kind of niceties 
when problems arise and there's no real, there's no drive to actually fix those problems or not even resolving differences, but just like ensuring that people are working well together, knowing that in the end that will raise uh, people's productivities, that will lower our costs, that will yield a better product for uh, our constituents. Or at least I don't see any of that from my perspective. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I think that um, in my experience, I've had the opportunity to work with a ton of different government entities, all the way from you know municipal up to federal, everything in between, uh, and across several branches as well. Not just like you know always the IT folks, but you know, right. Um, it's it's interesting that um, as a you know innate people watcher, it, it's you know, just the thing I do, I, I kind of, I'm always observing, I think <laughs> it, I see trends, right. And, and, and the trend that I saw fits exactly what you just said. And, and I've, I've never really thought to, to try and break it down. I mean, there's, I've heard arguments that like, oh, well, if you're not motivated to make money, right, then what motivates you to go the extra mile at work? Or if you're in a government position, a lot of times it's extremely hard to um, get fired realistically right so there's not a a huge push to like be the best because you know good enough is good enough and i i it don't think my mind i don't mm. think it's a universal thing right I, i'm not here saying you know all the government employees are lazy or anything like that but it, i think that we, we're kidding ourselves if we don't admit that it is a thing um it's just sure like, and, and realistically right i did a um 18-month contract with a very large government organization early in my career, and I abandoned it at the end of the 18 months because I just I couldn't do it. I Intrinsically, it would drive me nuts to want to fix something broken in front of me, and everybody's like, "Now nah, we'll get to it. You know, it's just it's against my my value set and my, my what drives me as an as a employee. And I don't, you know... I don't I don't think less of anybody if that's the, the path they take. It's just a really interesting gap. And it's hard to one thing I've kind of noticed that really surprised me is there's not a lot of in between. Right. It's it, it's rare in life that things are pretty black and white. Right. Or, or binary, as we would probably like to say. But um, it it felt like, you know, most employees with a, a pretty wide part of the bell curve. Right. Are either very motivated to do amazing because they just, I don't know, have work ethic or pride or whatever word you want to use, uh, fear of losing their job, maybe. Sure. But it's uh, And then there's the other side of that coin, right? That they're typically just like, they there's some people that spend more effort trying to figure out how to not work than I've ever spent working. You know what I mean? It's just, it's it's really interesting to see so many different personalities and how, different careers can be right it's it's you know is it a person who a person who stays on the help desk for 24 years right is that someone who loves being a help desk engineer because they're driven by the interaction with people because once you're a sysadmin or a network engineer you know you go up to normal pathways of it you don't see people anymore right and so they they saw that and wanted to avoid it so they took the you know, the risk and stayed on the help desk forever? Or is it someone that just never wanted to do anything else because they weren't driven to learn anything else, right? Or, or are they the smart person who, when the clock strikes 5.30, they get to go home and not yeah, worry they, about anything? Exactly. They disconnect. And that's a huge thing, right? It's, it goes back to that work-life balance. 
are it's it's a question that we I think you know at some point we definitely need to start asking ourselves is are we at the end of the day right does my extra effort really matter mm-hmm. you know what I mean and, and it, that sounds so negative and and horrid to say out loud but I'm not trying to say like oh well, it's just all meaningless let's all just wear black all the time you know nothing like that <laughs> that's very nihilistic of you yeah yeah I mean it's not uh you know I'm not I'm not walking around with a marmot like the you know <laughs> Lebowski but uh <laughs> it's uh it's uh, for those that don't know I introduced Kevin to the Big Lebowski and now he's addicted so I'm that's also a in a bowling league so I kind of <laughs> had to watch <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, the funny thing about my bowling league, this is just a very quick aside, is like two seasons ago, I wasn't there for the league meeting, which happens before league actually runs, because I was actually, I think I was at a swug at a conference, and I got voted in as president in absentia. (laughs) So I'm president of my bowling league, but I wasn't there to actually put my name forward. That's the way it happens, man. I know. Talk about actually being in front of something. If I was in front of that, I could have totally redirected that. I'd be like, no, yeah. no, no. Put Dana in there instead. Not me. <laughs> Guys, I just want to let you know I've never seen Big Lebowski. Think about what you're voting for here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could have the done irony that. is I've never been part of a bowling league, but I'm actually an ordained Judas priest. So there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the thing. We'll that later. <laughs> Yeah, no, me and Jake are both. Jake, Jake Hoke, we're both ordained mm-hmm. as priest. I think he went as far as to get an uh, honorary uh, doctorate as well. <laughs> <laughs> Was that like an extra $5 or? Uh... It is. It's something. It's like 5 or 15 yeah. <laughs> wow. But, uh, but yeah. Buying I mean, your certification. Well, we'll dive into that on a different cast, but mm-hmm. it's, it's – <laughs> It's definitely a fun one. I, I would want to have Jake here for it, though. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's. I think that there's something to be said about the maybe, – maybe we'll call it the courage, right, to be able to just disconnect and say, you know what? No, I'm not putting my work email on my phone because it's my phone. You know what I mean? Um, I, Blasphemer. I, what's that? Blasphemer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just – it's interesting, though, to me that – you know, and I have a huge problem with that. When I go on actual PTO, I uninstall uh, Slack and um, Outlook because I I know that I don't have the self-control to not check in. And it's, you know, at least I can admit that. And it's really probably not even me. It's probably more my wife telling me, hey, stop it, you know, which is good for her. We need those checks and balances in life. But uh, I think that for all the bad rap some of these employees get for you know oh this guy doesn't try that hard or blah 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 i think kevin brings up a great point right is it is it really that we're just jealous you know what i mean because at the end of the day company's still going to make the same amount of money whether or not we work that extra hour the difficulty of all that too goes back to the money too right like you see all these people that are talking money all day and as far as you traditionally define them they're all the people who are getting the money all day too yeah (laughs) right There was, uh, again, not to be like the nihilist of the group, but it feels like I'm going to turn into that now. It, there was a quote I saw this year, actually. It was kind of like New Year's resolution type time and all the memes were flowing. And um, there was one that said, you know, stop stop worrying so much from nine to five, because if you die in a car crash on the way home, your job will be posted on the career site before your obituary hits the newspaper. 
and that that hits right it's yeah, and i'm not saying that every company's like that right i mean there's companies that are hugely employee first you know typically they're 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 mom and pop companies you know they're the small businesses mm-hmm. where you know they they all know each other's kids and they have you know a lot of investment in each other and they help each other out if there's a medical bill problem you know that kind of thing and that happens at large companies too but usually at a smaller scale right like i'm in a company with 50,000 people i can't invite them all over you know um, but I can't work remote, so that's a little awkward anyway. Yeah, right. But I can <laughs> invite my teammates. You know what I mean? And and we can create our own small support systems at work. But it's it's interesting to to really put it in perspective that you know realistically, and, and maybe maybe it's a unique experience for me, right? But I don't have a ton of people that I would you know I spent forty hours a week or more with people and I leave that job, it's very rare that I keep in touch with many of those people. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's it's interesting some of the sacrifices we innately make for work over family, and the family's always there. Okay, can I ask a question to this? It seems like we've all dealt with this a little bit at one degree <laughs> or another, or continually to this point. <laughs> how, how many years into your IT career, and I don't mean help desk, I mean like doing like legit IT work, how many years in did you have to, before you hit that wall and said, I'm my home life is worried about work and that needs to change. And for me, that was six years with the law firm, not counting the handful on the help desk. It was literally the sixth year I realized at home, the first thing I'm doing when I get home is running into the front room, turning on the computer, which is a lie, it was already on, so waking up the monitors and checking to make sure everything is still okay. And I realized that that was consuming and didn't help that I had an hour and a half commute each way. So hour and a half drive, then dealing with that, be there for an hour, you know, walk in, eat some food, and God forbid if there was an actual issue, could be five, six more hours working on it. I just got to a point where I'm like, this is not a healthy balance, but it took me, it took me years. And I was, you know, into my mid thirties by that point now, cause I was all gung ho for my career. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I show my value because I'm the guy that they hired without a college degree and blah, blah, blah. And I had to fight for it to make sure that they wanted to, you know, value me. And it just felt like a never ending rat race. And like I said, I hit the wall around five years in, I think. Where I just realized it wasn't worth it in the long run. I think it's three things that do it. One is the amount of effort, as Zach said, the, the effort you get in versus what you get out of it. Another is how hard they enable you to drive yourself in that way. Like, like okay, we're those people who will burn the candle at both ends. But when your company really enables you to basically work harder by working 12-hour days, because you would just be doing that much and you would do that. Like, I think that kind of accelerates the feel and awareness of that. I mean, yeah, I had, sure. I, I mean, that's like the Silicon Valley thing, right? Where it, it became so famous, like, Oh, these, these huge tech companies have, you know, nap pods and, and, you know, full service kitchens with free food. And I'm like, well, yeah, because they expect their people to stay there 12 to 18 hours a day. You know? mm-hmm. And it, and it's, it's, it, we laugh, but it's true. If you go out there to those companies, there's, you know, that unwritten, you know, kind of undertone of expectation that if you leave at five o'clock, you're not a team player. Yeah, I, I still feel guilt when I walk out of the office and I'm the first one on my team leaving. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, to answer your question, right, I, I think that I'm still, you know, zero in that. I, I understand and I, I, I acknowledge that I have that problem, that I, I check things way too much. But I mean, you know, realistically, right now I'm running a script at work and watching it on my third monitor while we're talking. It, I, sometimes <laughs> it just works that way, right? I, I'm like, well, if I could multitask, is it really working? You know? <laughs> In yeah. trueness to what Kev said as well, it was kind of my wife that brought, or Zach, I don't remember which one now. It was my wife that brought me aware of it because I wasn't even looking at the hours either. Like I was working from... I would work from home and I'd work from home from eight o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night. And then I'd have a change at nine o'clock. And she was like, are you aware of how many hours you're putting into this? And it's like, wait, wait a second. I'm working 80 hours and I'm getting paid for 40. So, and you know, that that's when you realize you just want to kind of crank that back. And it's like, what the hell? Like I don't either double my pay or, or go somewhere else. So you went somewhere else. Indeed I did. Funny how that works. Mm -hmm. Speaking as a person who has spectacularly burnt out multiple times over his long career, um, and on the heels of just having kind of righted his ship again, this is all very familiar. Uh, (laughs) um, So... It's, it's interesting to so that I can kind of count the times and the timelines of, of how it works, right? So it, it's usually it's usually between like three and five years for me when I start to hit that breaking point um, of where of my own uh, so I kind of frame it as velocity and trajectory, right? So like it, there's a there's a spot that I'm trying to get to or, or there's a spot that I'm trying to move people, objectives missions technology into and then there's the amount of velocity that like i can put behind that for as long as i can and it seems to be about that range is when if i can't make any progress that's when things start to kind of fall apart and i really kind of have to figure out a way to either break through and hit where i was going or i need to reframe everything and move in a different direction and kind of redirect my velocity and then try and gain that speed back to go to the new place. And and so that's kind of what I've done over my career thus far. Which is, I mean, to be, to be interject, right. Which is a terrifying prospect for some of us, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) I I get it. And I, and and when you said that it kind of struck like, yeah, that's exactly what happened at my last job. Um, And, you know, I spent four and a half years giving, understandably way too much, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd, I'd be gone 40 weeks a year away from my family, uh, traveling and I would, you know, work 10 hour days on a client and then I'd go to the hotel and I'd stay up studying, right. To, to become the expert in everything. Right. And, and to, you know, understand, you know, new things that I'd never introduced myself to. Cause I, you know, I didn't do it. I was never a hobbyist in it. I didn't have a computer in high school, you know, this is all just, you know, self-taught type stuff and, and, and you know, right. self-taught in the aspect that just like everybody else, right, leaning on peers and colleagues and, you know, stack overflow and stuff like that. But sure, it, it was it was never formally taught. And towards the end, right, it, it, it really just became evident that I'm doing all of this and, you know, I'm I'm. I'm looking for the company to grow into like this amazing thing. 
And it was yes. always like it was always like the <laughs> like you see those pictures where the donkey has the carrot hanging in front of him. <laughs> it was always that, you know what I mean? And and it it took a it took um it was weird, right? It was a it was a personal friendship that I had you know garnered with a colleague at that company uh, that fell apart uh, through you know a bunch of different reasons and. Once that was gone, right, because we'd spend six hours a day kind of chatting with each other on Slack, Slack where we were walking or working, I mean. So, you know, like once that I really hate to use the word distraction, but I don't know what else to use. Right. It wasn't a distraction. It was a, you know, a symbiotic back and forth. I enjoyed every bit of it. But once that was gone, you start like being able to kind of take the blinders off and see what, if, you know, what am I doing this for? Right. Like none of this is registering to the people that make the decisions and leaving that that was, you know, the best paying job I had had up to my point in my career and going into an unknown and back into a very corporate environment where my personality type just doesn't really mesh well with that. Sometimes I'm very um, data driven. I, I, I have, a, you know, a lack of the, uh, desire to, you know, smooth feelings whenever it's, you know, the numbers say something other than your opinions, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it was scary, right? You know, I mean, especially because I'm the sole breadwinner, you know what I mean? So sure. it's, it's uh, that pressure and, and the ability for you to be like, hey, I, I just, I flip it around once in a while. I'm just like, well, I want to be more like Jeremy. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny how we all perceive things differently, right? Like the grass is always greener for us. It's always greener every time. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you <laughs> run a lawn mowing business. You know, and that's where I started. My first job was mowing grass for a school district. I, I got it. My grandfather worked there for 30 something years and he got me a summer job two summers in a row for 530 oh, in the oh. morning till three in the afternoon. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I, I pay people. This is Texas. Yeah, no, I pay people now too. And that, <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like, but I will say that it, it, you know, randomly, like stuff like that. Like I've done that. I've done roofing. I've done paving. You know, I was in the Marines for a while. I've I've had a lot of very labor-intensive jobs, and I think that's one of the reasons that perhaps I don't really get affected or or notice as much how much I work here. Because to me, it's like, well, this isn't hard. I'm not, you know, out in the Texas heat right now. You know what I mean? And I think maybe. Um, that's one of those learning things that Kevin's talking about, right? We have to come around and say, well, no, it really is work. And my time is just as valuable, even though I'm not, you know, creating sweat equity here. When I switched from the overworked job to the new job, and then they were like actually grateful for the things I was doing. And I'm like, I, I, I barely did anything. What do you appreciate for? They're like, this is amazing. Like, do you, how do you not appreciate what you're doing with this? I'm like, Apparently, I've come from a very different environment than where I am now. You know. Yeah. No, I that's think amazing. We've all had that. But but I, but I didn't want to see. Maybe I'm the exception to this rule because I've talked to Leon, and we all know Leon didn't want to do IT for a living. He was going to be on stage and in theater. But I mean, I wanted to do IT in high school. You know, I had the computer at you know 15 years old in my own room, swapping out components and getting on the dial-up internet and waiting forever for a single JPEG to download and, you know, all of that stuff. But it seems like a lot of people fell into the career. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it, it, it takes a mindset. Zach, you mentioned being data driven and you've got to appreciate the data and you have to understand how to interpret it properly. Without post, accidental IT person. 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there are enough. I mean, that's, <laughs> some people have fallen into it. And realistically, Leon is is my go-to for that because if you talk to him, you realize the dude's really smart. I mean, incredibly smart. But And it's his passion now, but it you can tell it wasn't because if you end up talking about theater and you get him to – and if you ever get him to talk about that one, and I'm not going to say for which role in which musical, but if you talk to him about that one role that got away, you can see that IT was a second choice for him. And I think that's a really interesting thing because I know guys in, you know, at my last company, I know people here. I think Danielle has a criminal justice degree. I was like, that's not anything like what you're doing now, unless you want to consider we're all misfits and basically you're, you're our PO. I was going to say, I mean, I think that really does fit her role right there. <laughs> <laughs> Closer than she probably ever thought coming in the door. But I mean, that, that's the kind of thing. It's like IT people come from all walks of life, and some of them have these soft skills. And it's because they've either been taught or they've done that job. Me, I've never worked. Uh, food service in my life, but I did work retail, so I had to get comfortable enough, not comfortable, but comfortable enough cold talking to somebody, which I've fallen back on a little bit. I remember, you know, what Office Depot taught me about customer service and making sure you maintain eye contact and repeat questions that you hear so you make sure you have it correct and that, you know, if it sounds like a ludicrous question that the person also hears that it's a ludicrous question. I think part of the demand of, of IT in general and the reason why, uh, no matter how you look at it, we have these soft skills is because technology changes all the time. We have to be the group that has some level of flexibility. I mean, no matter how hard set you are on on any single item, the only constant in technology is that it will always be changing. So. You know, there, there are people in other walks where they're always going to be working on the same type of stuff. You know, math, people who do math, all they are always going to be working on math in some concept, even if it's a different kind of math. But technology can fundamentally be completely different given the time. You know, look at the move from data centers to cloud. Like, like those areas are just not even remotely the same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy. Even that, though they are the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm going yeah. to be the guy that does it. We're breaking the mold here. I'm going to argue with you right now. So <laughs> I'm going to, you know, all hopefully right, I'll, you guys. right. I, yeah. I, I, it's all downhill from here, guys. So, <laughs> but I would say that I get what you're saying, right? I, I totally understand that. I would say that some of us that are, and Matt, you might run into this in your new role when you're more monitoring focused, because there's really two types of monitoring engineers, right? There's the kind that, are the vast minority where all you do is focus on monitoring and architecting monitoring solutions, right? You don't receive the tickets, you make sure that the right tickets go out. And then you have, you know, the, the vast majority, which you show up to work one day and your boss says, hey, the sales guy took me to lunch and we bought, you know, monitoring product ABC, you're gonna take on it, you're gonna take that on now because you're the you're the junior network engineer and you've got extra time on your hands or you know something of that nature where you're also the monitoring guy, not just the monitoring guy or girl. And for me, right, becoming um, in a role where all I do is monitoring, 
our company is undergoing huge changes, right? We're taking, you know, huge data centers, moving them completely in the cloud. We're containerizing, we're doing Kubernetes, we're doing, you know, we're trying to, to make things more DevOpsy and, and throw agile into the mix. And it's, it's chaotic for a company of this size to make these changes all at once like this. And it's, it's almost like a, a feeling of comfort for me that I'm like, well, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm still just going to monitor stuff. You know, and it's it's funny that you said it that way because I I've actually was talking to some coworkers about it just the other day. How you know, no matter what decisions are made, they still have to get monitoring done. You know what I mean? Like no, no matter what happens in IT, we still have to make sure that it's green. And that's really interesting how how widespread this discipline of monitoring is, right? Because it, you've got people like me who can say like, oh, well, doesn't matter what tool I use, it's still monitoring. And then you've got other people who have been, you know, working on, uh, you know, routers and switches since before OSPF was even a thing. And now they're having to learn SD-WAN or SDN or, you know, things like that. And it's just so different for them. And it's somewhat terrifying for some people, admittedly, right? Like I have to this year, I don't have to, I guess, but I'm forcing myself to learn a compiled language. And, you know, so I guess I can then call myself a coder. It, it's hard, right? It's, it's really hard to push out of those molds whenever we're so comfortable doing the same thing over and over because admittedly, right, without too much hubris, this is an MVP podcast. We're really good at what we do. And it's hard to push ourselves beyond that sometimes because it's not comfortable to do anything you're not good at. You know what I mean? I'm in that uncomfortable space right now. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it's rough, right? And it's and I've spent I've been at this job 18 months, a little bit over maybe, and I'd say at least 12 of them has been that, right? Like it's I've been using skills that I always or I've had for years, but not I wasn't using them 8 hours a day and now I am. You know what I mean? And it's um it was very uncomfortable, especially because through no fault, but it's just the size of our team and the way we're laid out, right? Like I'm the one who does the the scripting and the API stuff. The other two, the other two guys don't. And so when I have a question, I'm like, let's hope Kevin's near his computer right now, even though we don't work <laughs> in the same company, you know, like <laughs> my Stack Overflow search just isn't working. Where's Kevin? You know what I mean? So hey, Kev, look at the coding I'm working on right now. <laughs> Yeah, that, we do that. I've, Kevin, yeah. Funny enough, Kevin's name is on a couple of our scripts that run in production as a as a collaborator. Nice. Hey, I, that's the thing. And, and that goes into learning. It's one of the things I really like about this particular MVP group. Um, not that I've been in many of them. In fact, I've been in, hold on, one. But uh, this group works really well together. I think it's because... Regardless of what our day job is, we all have a passion for making sure that whatever we're doing is the best. You know, whether that is, you know, writing a PowerShell script to do this thing so you never have to touch it again or helping that other person get that one thing that they didn't have configured right, getting that to help out. I think ultimately what drew me to IT is problem solving and finding a solution. Now, for my brother, when he was with us, it was uh, he liked working on cars. So he actually had the same goal, diagnose, remediate, 
turn it back on, see if it works. He loved doing that. And it was great. But I, I could never explain to him why I liked working with computers. But it, I think ultimately it's the same result. It's the same net end. I like finding a problem. Actually, I don't prefer finding a problem because that means it's normally something I screwed up. But I like helping people find solutions to problems. It's the reason I like this community. It's the reason I like answering things. It's one of the reasons that I continue to try to contribute every so often with that, that one nugget of, you know, this is something really cool. Maybe this would work for you too. Uh, this silly thing I put on the Plex channel today, which is like, I hate that sometimes stuff gets tagged wrong here. Here's, here's a quick script I wrote that tells you how to like rip off all the tags from something. You know, it's just, it, it's the ability to share and not hoard knowledge. Cause I don't want to be that guy in the basement, you know, because uh, you know, we knew them. Uh, Wait, there was a flex channel. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> don't Jeremy, worry, Jeremy, you'll be caught up in six to nine months from now for yeah. what happened today. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yes. You're only going to have to go through a couple of hundred thousand messages that you missed while you were trying to, you know, save the world over there. <laughs> yeah, we actually hit the point in the free channel where things aren't being archived anymore. So six to nine months from now, so just about hit that limit. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm so, sorry, Kevin. No, no, it's and totally everything fine. else will be gone. Yeah, it's just one of the things. I I like having solutions. I I like that I've put something out there. I did that. It's been two years, I think. I wrote that thing about how I build a server. Blah blah blah. The number of people that are like, "This is great information." I'm like. This is just the collapse of information everyone should already have, right? And, and that's the way I think about it. But not everyone thinks the way we do. We think, I'm going to say, 15 degrees off normal from traditional IT people. Because I know IT people. I know where I came from. When I walked in, you know how you knew a net network node was down? Someone was calling you to tell you that a router is down. Only yeah. they wouldn't say that. They would say, I can't get to blank. So yeah, being you able to actually kind of... Really so I think there's two things about this that I always think of. And uh, just the initial one was Zach. Yeah, you're you're also correct. Like there really is um, how to put this. It's the framework stays the same. Everything else changes, but the base framework of, of the stuff we do stays the same, which is kind of like Kev's thing with the problem solving. Like, Overall, the core remains, but then everything else just out the window. Mm -hmm. New language, uh, yeah. new concept, yeah. but we're still using computers. Complete chaos, but I think that the comfort comes whenever you finally get to that point where you can break it down to those basic elements, which is really all this problem-solving stuff is, right? Like, I, I don't want to make it sound too simple because then it sounds like, oh, well, it's so easy. Why can't anyone do it? It's It's not simple, but realistically the the workflow right is that we take something muddled and we split it out to where we can see it it's like when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle right you don't leave them all in a pile and try to make the puzzle you spread them out same concept and i think that if we can approach our work like that and realize you know no matter what kind of craziness happens no matter what the cio learns at a conference and comes back and says this is how we're doing it now none of that right it's all still going to be for a monitoring engineer is the customer affected right yeah. and it's not even is it up or down anymore right yeah. and this this might be a segue to a whole nother conversation for a later date but monitoring 
as a term and, and metrics don't really matter that much anymore, right? The, with the way that the microservices and containers and, and, and distributed systems are, are built, doesn't matter if something goes down. It matters if a customer can do what a customer is supposed to do. And that's right. How much money got left on the table? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. You know, and I, I joke, I heard this at a, at a user group a few months ago that when Kevin was talking about, you know, people that called him to say, you know, something's down, it, they, the person at the user group said, you know, that's, that's what we called cams customers as monitors. And I had never heard that term. Maybe it's really popular and I'm just way out of the loop, but that's so horrible, but it's great. Yeah. Right. It's, it, yeah. It, it was hilarious because I was just like, yeah, that's, that's really where we all started. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of us in uh, that have really embraced the monitoring discipline have that same thread that we, we like to solve problems. And even if we don't have the best soft skills in the world, we do ultimately want to help people. Right. Because that's that's the goal is sharing the knowledge is solving the problems before they become problems. Monitoring at its most basic level is trying to prevent the customer from ever noticing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, and we just want customers with blinders on. We want them to not have to worry about anything except what their focus area is. And, you know, intrinsically, I think that really is uh in some ways, you know, empathetic, it, it can be considered, you know, the, the altruistic sense of, of, you know, people who maybe are a bit more uh, intrinsic by nature and they can't, uh, you know, if, if you can't walk into a, a cocktail party and spend three hours small talk very easily, you know, maybe at least you're the guy that kept the Wi-Fi on the whole time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So everybody else can have a good time. Yeah. You know, I can actually relate to this with, probably one of the much earlier jobs before I got into IT actually <laughs> uh, with, you know, like it really is that we are the problem solvers and that we want to, that we see a problem. We aren't just like, eh, whatever. Um, I was interviewing for a car sales job back in the day. And apparently the last step before they decided to hire me was they had a problem with the computer and wanted to see if I was willing to try to help them figure it out. And that was kind of, when I think I started to realize about where I wanted to be in IT as well, but literally it wasn't even like a real problem, but they didn't tell me that. So as far as I knew, I was trying to figure it out and give them some ideas to help. And they're like, well, you know, I had this problem with this application. Do you think, and they just kind of shut up from there. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I got some ideas with that. And mm -hmm. it's, it's not just that we problem solve. It's even if we don't have the situation, we still have, a set of tools that we can use to try to figure something out. So it's not like we're going in blind either. Yeah. I think it's a, a big thing. And, and Zach hit it on it and you even more so is our job as monitoring professionals. And I think it's something we've only really begun to realize is, is more intrinsic than we ever originally thought for me for years, it was make sure routers stay up call immediately when they go down, you know, and normally it was for like the provider, you know, make sure Verizon gets on the phone or whoever gets on the phone and they know that they need to fix this thing. But it, it's beyond that now. It's it's to the point where, and I think the the cloud adoption, the containerization, the microservices, the, the SaaS solutions, I think a lot of that has really brought to focus that IT as a job, IT as a career 
is not about up-down monitoring. It's not even about performance metrics per se. It's about making sure the end user, whoever it happens to be, can do their job effectively. If that person can continue to do their job and they have, and I'm not even going to use downtime because it's really not even a thing you watch too much anymore. Now it's more like slow time, like how long did something take? But if they can continue to do their job, that means the company you're working for or the one you're contracted for or the organization or whatever you want to call it, they're still doing whatever their mission goal was, you know, whether that is providing services to, you know, a municipality or whether that is, you know, doing a stock trade or taking care of bank. It's all about making sure the person who's not an IT professional doesn't have to think about IT problems. Unless yeah. they cause them themselves. <laughs> because I will here. tell you, I will, oh, we've all had those things where it's like, no, I did this and it just makes sense. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. And it doesn't make sense to anybody. And when it said, are you really sure? You still said yes. Why did you say yes? Well, Look, at the I just time, plugged in my USB device. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, we've all had that. It's uh. It's funny that no matter how good you get in your career, there's still things that'll, you know, feel like a punch right in the stomach. Whenever you click something, you're like, oh, wait, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like control C, control C, control C. Yeah. But okay, I'll I'll give you a for instance. My father, who I love to death and actually is the one who taught me about IT and he taught me in a very specific way. When I got my first computer, uh, I had it for, I don't know, a month and then I broke it. Now, this is the days where you need to install DOS before you install Windows 95, like those days. So my father, or I'm sorry, Windows 3.11. So my father is up there. He has the books with him. He has his stack of floppies. Yes, those days. And he sits in front of my computer and he reloads it and gets it working. Oh. And then the second time I broke it, fast forward less time because I was more proficient at breaking things at that point. So in less time, then he goes up, hands me the discs, makes me sit in the seat, and makes me do it, right? Okay, fine. That's a great learning experience. Learn by doing. And then, of course, I break it again. He's like, okay, cool. Now you're up to the last time. He hands me just the book and just the discs, and he's like, call me if you need help. Now, that man taught me everything I need to know about IT, which was if I've done it three times, I know how to do it is the first part. The other part of that, the corollary to that, which is something Zach and I talked about before, is if I have to do it three times, I need to find a way to automate this. That's a a different discussion. Accurate. But the one thing my father did this weekend, who I love to death, one of my favorite people, and I do miss him dearly because he's 1,500 miles away, he said, you know that computer I'm using to do that consulting work for uh, Harford County? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, it was running a little slow. I'm like, it's got dual flash disks. This can't be good. Go ahead, Dad. He says, <laughs> so I went into Windows and it said, if your computer's running slow, you can hit this button and we'll basically reset all your Windows files. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. no, 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 no. <laughs> if, you, if you guys haven't done this, it's actually a very good thing because there's there's two buttons. One is like refresh Windows. So it basically does reinstall Windows, but doesn't mess with the stuff you already have on there. You may have to install an app or two because stuff gets you know, messed up in the registry or whatever, but all the files are there, including all the executables. So it's just kind of like, you know, kind of stitching the pieces together after the fact. There's another button on there, which is reset instead of restore. 
the reset button says, cool, you're done with this PC. We're going to put just Windows back on it. So like, I don't know, 11 o'clock Friday night, I get an email from him and I generally don't read emails after whatever, but it was Friday. My notifications were still on and I glanced and he said, so uh, yeah, guess what I did? And I went, oh no. I mean, and, there could there could be an argument that that was just based on really, really, really bad user user UX design. Or it like could you, be that you he's put restore and restart right next to each other. You know? They're not reset and restore or whatever. <laughs> they're they're not next to each other, and he had to confirm. I know for a fact you have to do it twice because I I reset my desktop. I mean reset and then just reinstall the app because I got Office 365 and stuff from Adobe, so it's all streams in as I need it. I reset sure. my desktop about once every eight months or so because I just get tired of the the crap that accumulates over time. And so I know for a fact you have to say yes twice. Oh my goodness. I would I would completely be doing the same exact thing. I, I feel so bad for your dad and have so much empathy because I've probably done that and forgotten about it at this point. Yeah. Well, I will say this. Before the last time I visited him, uh, which we just drove up there a couple of months ago, I said, you know what? I've got this cloud backup software that I happen to, you know, work for a company and they kind of like gave me a license for. Go figure. <laughs> um, so I said, I'm going to put all of your critical machines in my account because I can have as many accounts as I want. Ooh. And I'm like, cool. So I set it up and I'm running it. And I was like, yep, your backup ran fine. He's like, I got an email said it's backup failed. I was like, is your is your tablet? It's one of those uh, like hybrid things that like the screen can click off. Uh -huh. So he keeps calling it a tablet. I was like, is, <laughs> it, it, is your tablet off? He's like, yeah, it's off. I'm like, then how's it running the backup? He's like, I thought it would wake up. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, there is no wake on WAN. Um, so he's like, okay, so backups complete. So then thankfully after everything is done, I'm like, did you redownload the backup software? He's like, yeah. I was like, did you put in, I was like, all right, this is the password. I got it from the portal. I gave it to him. I was like, put this password in. I was like, do you remember your security code? He's like, I think so. I'm like, well, you better, you're not getting any of your content back. And he put it in. He's like, okay, it's there. I'm like, you can run your own restore now. Anything you think you missed and you need to bring back one, just slipstream it in there. I was like, it's going to suck because you, you're you you're an old man now and you don't care about getting gig speeds at your house, but it'll come in. <laughs> that is that is an amazingly close to home story that I'm just like, yep, yeah, that's I'm going to I'm going to have that happen to me in the next 10 to 20 years. It's just going to happen. I know it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Zach, you'll be doing IT for your kids soon enough, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have told my wife that I've joked before that, like, you know, I don't know why we're putting the money away for retirement. I mean, it, we could just keep doing this till I'm like 70 or 80, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I just sit in a chair all day. It's not that bad. <laughs> Guess at some point people are going to want my brain to still work, but I think I could fake it for at least two, three years. Uh, did you say management job? I'm just checking. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, management means you actually have to go around and shake people's hands. And, nah. Oh, so many germs. Yeah. What, what, what do Kev, I say? Kev, come on. Yeah. Haven't you seen Weekend at Bernie's, man? I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. But Zach's a big dude. I don't want to carry his corpse around. That's accurate. Yeah. You'd, <laughs> you'd have to. You're not going to be using like fishing line. You're going to need some 550 cord. Yeah. <laughs> He's all strung up with paracord like a marionette, <laughs> slapping at the keyboard every so often. <laughs> I had a, a a buddy that was uh, a network engineer at a at a previous job, and he 
I, I still can't tell if he was kidding or not, but he told me that um, one of the tricks of cube life, like living in a cubicle farm, is that when you're fake typing, you have to make sure you hit the space bar every once in a while because it makes a really distinct sound. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is that is exceptionally well thought out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> my keyboard, which I lo- I've been using Ergo keyboards since around 1995 because I started getting carpal tunnel in like high school. Kevin's um, a keyboard hipster. Yeah, so I've had I've had ergo yeah sorry ergonomic not ergo I've had ergonomic I've never had a stand up desk and I don't want one of them my feet already hurt uh, but I've had one for years and I finally had to swap it out and I keep buying whatever one my company bought me so my keyboard layout doesn't change and this thing has the <laughs> loudest space bar of anything I've ever used like if people are walking around me they're like oh. He's busy writing something. You can tell from, like, when you enter the area at work. See? And now you get it. See? You can mm-hmm. get away with anything just by slapping the keyboard around. Well, the other thing I do is I put a rearview mirror on one of my monitors. <laughs> That's not now, a joke. It helps I am a, so much. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that it's not like a, a, a Raspberry Pi with a camera. Well, Ooh. I mean... They did I, give us Raspberry Pis. <laughs> I know, but I'm running out of I'm running out of outlets under my desk. So, and that means I got my little camera component. Right now, I just use it to do other things. Sure. So, <laughs> we need to do other a things. we need to yeah we need to do a cast on that because I mine is literally still just sitting on my desk. I have never plugged it in. I've I've got like ideas of what I could use it for, and you know, it's just never like, oh yeah, let's do that. Let's actually pull the trigger and do that project. I got mine to run the the Windows IoT core, but I couldn't figure out like how to branch out from there. So so mine sat for a little while, and then not too long ago, I got um, NMS running on it. Okay. It's horrible. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll cross that off the list. <laughs> I mean, give it a try. No, 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 no. You should absolutely the, – the deployment of it really didn't take that long. It wasn't that hard. It's a wonderful, like, uh, like time sink of, like, execution and understanding how, how all of that comes together, right? But then trying to use it as an NMS system and then looking at the software that we use every day, you'll be like, holy <laughs> God. Oh, my God. How did we use this for so long? What were we thinking? <laughs> I know that I used mine. This is so sad. So when the Pi agent came out, God, it's been 18 months or so, probably about 18 months ago for Orion. The When the agent said, hey, we support Raspbian, I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing with mine. I took it back to the office. I put it in a conference room. I unplugged the I unplugged the, li- <laughs> I unplugged the life size that was in that room because no one used it. And we were actually phasing them out to replace with Cisco gear. And I plugged in the HDMI, I plugged it into the port, and then I stole the Ethernet connection, and I plugged it into the back of this, put the agent on it, and I ran RetroPie for about eight or nine months. In fact, it's probably still in the online demo. That was actually my pie that sat in a conference room for a year, and then, like, whenever we had free time, which was rare, but if we, like, I was like, I need a mental decompress at lunchtime, we go in, turn the lights off, and play some Mario Kart. Nice. So... What I heard is now we have a reason for why some of our feature requests don't get implemented in time. You do, <laughs> except at the time I was on the demo, so you weren't the one complaining about that. So if it wasn't for Kevin, we'd have dark theme now. 
Oh, don't even get me started on it. I want to tell you guys these insider secrets that I will get roasted for. There's so many things I can say about how much dark theme has turned into a thorn in the side. All right. Zordos isn't on this call. I'm so proud that I started that feature request. Oh my God, man. You are, you will live on in, in infamy for years for that one. Oh, I love it. So Zordos, uh, did any of you guys go, you didn't go to the Chicago Swag? I think it was t- 18 months ago, two years ago. I went so, to the one before him and Matt and Tom were MVPs when they were still about the same one. green young bucks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Zordos is in Chicago and we asked him to do a deck, right? And he does, your dashboards are bad and you should feel bad, which is yeah. a brilliant title. And I'm actually going to be presenting that one upcoming and i stole a lot of his his ideas but i couldn't use his graphics because they don't get through legal review copyright blah 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 blah. anyway but <laughs> he's talking about this and he has these atrocious pictures and he has this one he's like now dashboards can be pretty and he puts up a couple custom swickle things he puts up a custom report he puts up this thing and he has it on the screen and it's an automatic time slide Oh, I remember he talked. He told me about this. <laughs> so the slide is up there for like six seconds, you know, enough for him to talk about it and go on. And then all of a sudden, this it flips to the next slide, which is an all black screen with big white letters in impact, and it just says dark theme. And then less than a second later, I think it stays up on the screen for a quarter of a second, flips back to the original slide he was talking about. He doesn't look <laughs> up. He doesn't have to click anything. It just happens. <laughs> Everyone in the room busts out laughing. He turns out like, what? Did something happen? <laughs> yeah. It was the funniest exchange I think I've ever seen at a live event, aside from, like, someone falling off a stage, which I haven't seen. But, like, this was – it was hysterical that he did it. And I was like, I so want to do this. But now that that one guy actually kind of made Dark Theme a possibility with, like, 25 lines of CSS, I'm like, can I hire you? Talk about some egg on the face, huh? Yeah, he's like, what did he say? He did it in a day? Yeah, he did. It, it, it took him longer to compile it into a tool than it did to write it. Yeah. <laughs> so funny part is I, I throw that up to Alter Ego, and I'm like, hey, man, uh, this guy said he did it in a day. Why are you dragging your feet? He's like, well, we could do it in 15 minutes. I'm like, I heard could. Yeah. I did not hear would or will. I will say that one of the most endearing things about (laughs) (laughs) I'll say one of the most endearing things about SolarWinds as a company has been they they will always own it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the funny thing is there is a mandate going around the company uh, and it kind of goes in line. Zach, you were talking about the agile thing. It's like and it's something that we were talked about a couple years ago, but it's actually something I've tried to do for about the last three years with solar winds is like when is good enough good enough because because perfect is the enemy of good yeah yeah if i do something perfect it's going to take me significantly longer it's not going to meet the time requirements i'm doing something you know what's good enough what is and zach you and i've had this discussion about uh on slack about script it's like you know, if I if I run into 15 errors, is it worth me just tracking down those 15 things one by one, or do I take the 20 hours it's going to take me to code around those errors and do this? And realistically, it's like, eh, what's your net gain on that? And sometimes for me, I've done it. I think you've done it a couple of times, but it, that it's more for the learning than for the never having to deal with it again. For sure, yeah. 
that kind of scratches one of the traditional IT itches, though, that some of the people are those perfectionists, that it's not that they should spend 22 hours on it, but they totally want to because they want it perfect. Yeah. yeah. And realistically, right, that that that's where like a really good product or project manager comes into play, right? Like they don't they don't need the tech skills. They need to be able to tell us to stop it. Mm hmm. The most powerful when I was a PM, the most powerful answer I had to any question ever was no. <laughs> it is a complete sentence. It is a complete sentence. It is a completely viable one for project and pro product managers. It's we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do that. And the answer can be on one of them or all of them. No, we're not going to do that because it doesn't meet the requirements we have for whatever we're dealing with, whether it's troubleshooting a problem, dealing with a customer case or, you know, one of those other things or, or making a product launch even, you know, it, we don't have to do that to meet this end goal. So we're not going to do that. And for me, it was tough coming in as a PM because I'm an IT guy. So when I had a list of bugs of like 200 bugs, I'd be like, fix it, 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 fix it. And my dev team were like, you know, that's going to take like 18 months. And I'm like, what are you doing right now? And they're like, <laughs> and it was bad. And I had to learn the hard way where they just kind of, they pushed back. I had to have my program manager come up to me and be like, look, man, we, we can't meet all this. What do you really need? I'm like, well, to make this one customer happy, we need to do this thing. He's like, and how many customers do we have? I was like, uh, yeah, you're totally right. I'm going to unfortunately upset somebody and it'll be fine, you know, ultimately. The other thing that I think SolarWinds is good about, and you guys have all done UX sessions, you totally get this. SolarWinds has no problem if you call their baby ugly. That has been genuinely refreshing, actually, when I compare that to a lot of companies I've worked with, both in terms of employed for and everything else, that... UX is such a unique beast. And then for UX to be enabled and capable and stuff is another. Uh, yeah. My my first IT gig, they actually had a UX group that had that, but they would not lead people at all. So like if you did not figure out that you were stepping into what they wanted you to say, they could not say anything. So when I finally jumped into something and I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, this is stupid. This is not something that makes a logical flow for me where they were talking about like a UI design where mm -hmm. like, it was like white, it was like red color on a white background. I'm like, why would you do that? And they're like, we never talk about this as a UX thing, but we were yelling at the web developer about it for like six months. So thank you. Good. Yeah, It's, it's funny you say that Kev, cause I, I actually had a, uh, my first UX session with a competitor uh, Monday. And it, it was a team from uh, Barcelona and um, they were talking, they wanted me to give feedback on a beta they're doing on a new UX design and stuff. And, you know, being from the South, I, I have a lot of weird sayings that I throw into to everyday speech. And I will just, you know, let you guys know that if you're ever doing a UX session with Barcelona and you say it's like putting lipstick on a pig, it might not translate very well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can think of multiple interpretations that may come up on that one. Yeah. So they, I'm not sure they're all involving pigs or lipstick at that point. Yeah, well, what's funny is it was, uh, you know, video conference, so I just, like, saw their faces. I was like, oh, well, let me explain that term. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we used to have that a lot uh, when when I was working with the other PM for the demo team because most of our uh, stuff is overseas, and we would and I would be very good about trying to be cognizant of speaking plainly, and the other guy would just throw in these. I mean, whether it was anecdotes or whether it was uh, you know a saying that seems to be thing, or he'd quote a movie that's only been out in the states for like three months, and I'm like, dude, there's they don't have it there. Um, he's like, oh, well, I got to tell you about this movie. I'm like, can we please get on with this call? Can we, can we please, for the love of all things holy, can we just get on with this call? <laughs> so was it a good movie? Uh, it never was. Uh, it was always something his kids picked, and I'm like, did you read the reviews? He's like, I enjoyed it. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. We're not, we're not gonna go to the movies. He's like, I'll hang out and have a beer with you, but we're, we're, we're you're not choosing movie night. The, the irony of, of that statement, Jeremy, is that Kevin's uh, Plex server is the one with the most kid movies. <laughs> Wait, yes. I like those. But those are good kids movies. They are. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> Except for uh, Hogfather. My <laughs> wife still tries to get me to watch Hogfather every Christmas, and I fall asleep every time. And she's like, it's Terry Pratchett. And I'm like, I know, and I've read his stuff, and I actually like his stuff, but I cannot get into this. <laughs> Adding that to the list. <laughs> Jeremy, don't worry. You're going to have to catch up on about eight Plex server invites at the end of this. And all right. All, what we're all going to do is we're all just going to sync everything from yours, so don't plan on using your computer for like a month. <laughs> he will specifically I've, not check the sync box for all of his friends. <laughs> you know, I, I think that you might be the only one I have sync on. It's because you were traveling and you wanted to download some movies. Yeah, I wanted to watch something on the plane, and it's always... Yeah sketchy and you had you had something that it was and it wasn't even recent it was something you actually ripped from a blu-ray or a dvd you had and i'm like oh my god i haven't seen that in years or i missed it or yeah. something like and i'm like and there's no way i'm gonna find it it's not gonna be on netflix for download it's not gonna be on prime for download but i got a buddy that's got it so it's the you know sitting taking a dvd to your friend's house and sitting on the couch of 2000 and x mm-hmm. it works i've never uh, had a plex implementation so it'll be interesting to see how it goes, although I, I think I have the infrastructure now that I can have one. That's well, funny. Me and Will are both sitting here trying to figure out how we're going to duct tape ours together and keep them running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw Will's posts about that. 5,400 RPM drives fine. I'm like, with enough of them, yes. Yeah. Um, but but if you're interested, there actually is a Plex server SAM template in the Plex <laughs> community. <laughs> I mean, Did if you submit this yourself, or who submitted this? Oh, now? I totally submitted that. It might actually still be on the demo server because I built it on, in the lab, and then because uh, I just because the agent was two years ago, the agent was new, and predominantly SolarWinds is an agentless company. We really don't prefer to use agents, but there's situations, and now with the cloud thing, and the big thing for me was DMZs because DMZs normally had like one one hundredth of your server infrastructure in them and it didn't make sense to put a, a polling engine out there for me financially i could never justify it at my last company but if there was an agent that was cakewalk i'll just throw the agent out there and we'll pop open one port and be done with it so i really wanted to tinker with it and one of the things i did is i put it in passive mode on my desktop here at the house it's not on it anymore and i opened up that one firewall port for port forwarding on my router my uh yeah, for my home router. And then I said, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to not work. And damn, if it didn't just show up, I'm like, 
I can enumerate all the drives. I can enumerate all the services. This is amazing that I can just do this. So I was I literally, and I would like try to crush it. I'd be like, all right, well, let's see if I can, uh, if I actually play three streams simultaneously. So I got my like, like my laptop, my desktop, and my phone all playing different movies. And I'm like, let's see, and you watch the CPU go up, watch the number of threads for the Plex transcoder process increase. I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't be the only one who has one of these things. And I realized no one in corporate America has a Plex server lying around in their data center somewhere, but they should. Yeah, I I would say that um, we don't want to advertise it too much because it's one of the few streaming sites that aren't blocked on most corporate firewalls still. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hey, just put everything on 443. Nothing a little port forwarding can't fix, right? Exactly, uh, Mundo. That was definitely one of the weirdest, most refreshing things with my current company versus the previous was. The previous was like, you can't look at things and you're bad for looking at things because somebody abused it somewhere and therefore you should not be able to. And this one was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Just, you know. That, that is true, Jeremy. You did miss, you know, of, of the year that you missed out of us, uh, Matt was on his phone on Slack the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a picture, like you know, where most of us would take a screenshot, he'd take a picture of his monitor with his phone. <laughs> oh my oh, god! Oh, that was that was the worst ever. Oh my god! I have I have no yeah that that was just awful. Here uh, I was like like guys, I need I need help with something, and I talked to my work, and I'm like, can you please unlock Slack? Like this is this is big for my productivity, and they're like. Well, if we unlock it for you, we have to unlock it for the entire company. And you're like, like, fine. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so (laughs) let me try this again. I'm like, so there's this one and it's called, and I mentioned the name of it. I'm like, all you have to do is unlock this. I'm like, you don't have to unblock all of Slack. You just need to unblock this one. And they were like, well, are you prepared to present this to the CIO? I'm like, yep, yep, go ahead. And then they like, well, we're not going to do it. I'm like, (laughs) I'm "I'm calling your bluff. I will shank you, but you give me this. (laughs) This sounds like, this sounds like every talk I had with a security professional up until about a year and a half ago. Cause I I mean, SecOps people used to be unapproachable. Used to be. What happened? All right. (laughs) (laughs) They've gotten a little better. Come talk to our SecOps people. All right. I, I will tell you that uh, the demo team, while they're developing stuff for the new releases, because we're in RCs right now, they went through and they built this glorious story that goes across and spans local data center to cloud-based solutions with you know net paths and all those other kinds of like a really good viable working scenario. And then someone changed a firewall rule corporate wide, and all of a sudden the entire thing disappeared. Oh, <laughs> and. The entire demo team's losing their minds trying to figure out what went wrong. Because, I mean, you guys are in the same scenario. If something all of a sudden just stops, the initial guess is that, oh, well, something in the monitoring went sideways. Because it can happen, right? Yep. But you go to start troubleshooting it. You know, oh, there's this thing with the agent. It's not doing this, but I can still get to it. And this, turns out they changed a firewall thing, and it killed all of the polling. And when they finally tracked it down, they said, oh, well, let me see if I can flip that switch again. And they flipped it back, and then, like, this... 30 node story just appeared all over again. Yeah, I wonder what it would be like to have some sort of, you know, monitoring product that looked at ACLs and wasn't archived five years ago. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's the kind of thing that eating your own dog food, and I think it's something that software company, Microsoft's honestly been the best I've ever seen about eating their own dog food. Yeah, they make their guys use Teams. They make, I don't mind Teams. Don't don't bad mouth Teams. Teams works fine. Teams, when it was like still in a beta, it was horrid. Yeah. It's, it's better now, but when it, it first came out, it was about the worst thing that had ever hit market. Yeah, well, it, it does have dark themes, so, I mean, it's got that going for it. I mean, that's right. Oh. <laughs> Shot across the bow. <laughs> um, I, yeah, but they're the ones, because I talked to their, one of their, I did Exchange for way too long, and I talked to one of their architects about O365 when it was still called Exchange Online, so real early on. And uh, they were like, we've been using it for eight or nine months now. I'm like, you've been using what? I was like, how do you handle, you know, and I, I had this laundry list of stuff because I was an exchange admin for six, seven years. And they were like, oh, no, we do that. I'm like, we've got to get better at eating our own dog food. And everyone needs to do that. It's it's the question for me. And the trouble with the, the demo team, which thankfully I'm not on anymore, is how early do you adopt bits? Like, do you try to push an online demo with a beta version? And the answer is maybe. You know, it's it's it all depends on how the business needs things to happen. I think there, I mean, you know, from external and not knowing the full picture, right. I think there is a pretty good argument to have a, a sister site that runs beta. Mm-hmm. But who do we get to build it? Cause we're, we're pushing out realistically. I mean, you were talking agile right yeah. now. Everyone is doing continuous integration, but you can't do continuous integration with a monitoring platform and expect the monitoring to actually have to continue to work seamlessly and actually have historical data with it. I mean, that's the bur- and totally I'm, I'm with you. I wanted to set up a beta site. God, I even gave, I gave a project name. God, what was it? Project Farnsworth. Um, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Nice. So project Farnsworth was going to do that. Uh, project Zoidberg is the feedback button that's in the demo now. So if you don't like something, you can hit the button and someone will actually listen to you as opposed to Zoidberg that no one listened to. And when we revamped everything for the new UI and threw out all the old junk and built stuff based just exclusively on the lab, that was Project Conrad because he's a bureaucrat and would run down all the various people and make sure they did their jobs. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. It's funny, though, because our customers think that – and I actually had this discussion today with someone from another business unit. They think that the gating of the demo is basically a big fake site. Oh yeah, no, I I I saw that. Yeah, I I one hundred percent thought that before you know you and I you took over that demo as a PM and I started kind of getting to see behind the wizard's curtain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I could one hundred percent thought it was just like fake data made up, ingested and in, you know injected into a SQL table. Yeah, and for the data, some of that's true. Some of the stuff because you can't tell a compelling story about something being down if it reports is up. Yeah. I mean, honestly, but the public demo site runs the actual bits. Normally they're RCs, but it still runs the real bits. Yeah. And that I think it also, is amazing. I think it really hit home when we did our Thwack Camp session and the dark theme code changes we made to custom properties made it to the demo site. Yeah. And you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> that was a legit thing. Oh, I, yeah. was, I, was, I was emphatically happy about it. I wasn't upset at all. I didn't think you were upset. <laughs> But that's the behind the curtain stuff. But it's also weird. I think SolarWinds, and it's not me. I think the company in general is 
tried to be without engaging a million legal documents and NDAs, or I think we try to be about as open as we can be without violating financial restrictions and copyright, blah, blah, blah. And I think part of that is helped by this group of MVPs. And I don't mean the four of us. I mean, like the 80 plus of us that are around the world that are like, literally, it's like, we want to do our jobs better. And to do our jobs better, we can either learn something that's going to take me 50 hours and I got to keep sharp with it for 10 hours a week to keep it. Or you guys can build this feature. And yeah, it'll suck. It'll cost you 200 development hours and who knows how much for licensing this little bit of code or whatever. But you will not just help the 80 of us. You will help the 80 of us and the X number of customers you have in addition. And I think that's where Bump Squad really kind of shines. <laughs> Gotta love Bump Squad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you want to hit on every tag tonight, huh? Um, I'll, I'll hit whatever I gotta hit, man. I, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here to make. I'm here to make monitoring professionals better at their jobs. Because I want you to actually be able to have a work-life balance. Because there's nothing worse than getting that email about critical systems being down at. 1:30 in the morning, right when you're ready to wind down and be done after playing your, you know, battlefield, whatever these days your kids are playing, and you're just winding it, and you get that email, and then you get on the system, and it's not actually down. I think you misspelled Lego Harry Potter there, Kevin. I I potentially did, but I do know you have to hold the circle to do your master builds. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say when we had the big session thing where everybody went to Austin, just watching just the interaction from the various walks of life of all of us and how it like all comes together with it. I've not seen that in any other group of people or any concept of recognized group of people like ever, like there's, you know, walks of like life of people just being together and hanging out and stuff, but there's not always that like, Hey, you know, this guy knows about building a rocket ship and this one knows about engineering it. And this one knows about, you know, why you wouldn't want to do it that way and why you want. And like, you know, between all of those, we just built a rocket ship. How the hell did that happen? You know, yeah. like speaking of Jeremy, we do also have a space channel in our Slack. If you like the uh, SpaceX stuff, what? <laughs> <laughs> shut the yeah. front door. We, we usually watch the uh, launches together and stuff. Cause we're all a bunch of geeks. Mm-hmm. He must have the biggest grin on his face as he slow drips all of this across. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's funny to see it, though, because Jeremy started the slack and then through life circumstance had to, you know, omit himself for a while because apparently there's <laughs> only like 24 hours a day or something. I don't know. <laughs> see, I supplement myself with Jez and Mark and Mike, and then also on the other side of the world, Steve. So I, I like 24 hours a day, I can ask somebody. Exactly. I, I try not. So to what he's also channel. saying is nobody else matters, but we'll quote him on that later. Yeah, that's fine. Misquote, misquote, fake news. Um, I got to go to dinner with Mike last night, so I'm happy. Yeah, he was in Mike's a good guy. <laughs> Did he pay? Uh, I mean, he probably would have, but I, you know. Mm -hmm. You're a Southern people. gentleman. I know how this works. Him and his colleague uh, coming out of the office over there uh, across the pond, as they say, mm -hmm. uh, it might become a regular thing that they get to come into town. So I'm going to, you know, texting them up. Yeah. Good luck with that. Oh, it'll be fun. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not saying it won't be a good time. I'm saying texting up some of the guys, some of the Brits might be a little, might be a tough sell. <laughs> What's funny is the two, you know, so him and Jez, Mike and Jez are two of our, what, four Brits mm-hmm. are NFL football fans than pretty much any MVP that's from the U.S. So. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had, yeah, I, I talked to Mike, I talked to Mark a bunch when I was over there in November or December, I can't even remember. That entire trip just runs together. Between that and the cheddar worst fiasco, or not cheddar worst, the curry worst, the death of the curry worst in Frankfurt. It just sounds horrible. Like I don't, I don't want to know the story, but that just that word does not come across well. I have not shared this. Not to me. I, I assumed it was like some kind of internal, you know, Danielle and friends joke or something. No, it is not an inside joke. It As is... a foodie, I'm aware of that one, so I'm all for this. <laughs> so, so if you if you'll allow me a little latitude here, so I mean, no, we're staying on point on this podcast, Kevin. We don't stray. What are you talking about? All right, I'll get back to my bullet points after this short break. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Oh, God, this is going sideways. But I, I got to tell the story. So you guys have been to a swag at some point. You know we normally try to throw a UX session in there and explain why UX is important. And, and Zach, you did this when you were working, training with your last company, did training with your last company. We, UX would show up and kind of give the dog and pony show and why it's so important. So we're going from the schedule for the swag last year that was overseas was Wednesday we were in London. And then Thursday – we were in Frankfurt, so it was it was basically back to back, or I'm sorry, no, it was uh, it was Tuesday Thursday. So, but it was still back to back when you consider travel time and checking in at the hotels and all that kind of stuff. So, we get to London. All of us pretty much arrived the day before, so no time to get over jet lag. You just have to suck it up and get going. So, you know, and call time is normally like quarter quarter of or quarter after seven for an eight o'clock breakfast, nine o'clock start. And we all do our thing there, and then we stay for the drinks afterwards so we can have, continue to have conversations. And then we all kind of say, well, we've got planes to catch in the morning. We're out. And so we all crash. When we get to Frankfurt, um, there's supposed to be another dinner because uh, that's when Sasha joined us, and he was going to do his presentation. And Sasha's there, and he says, look, I'm with customers right now. I cannot actually make the make the pre-dinner or the the pre-swug dinner okay cool we get it you know your deck you got your sessions you know what you're talking about it's your home country in germany totally fine so we land there and i'm like all right so i've got like check-in was really early like noon we got in early and so like from noon to like six i have like time to myself so i'm like i'm just gonna catch me like a three-hour nap just to try to recover a little bit of this I no. I sleep through till eight o'clock, miss the dinner like entirely, apologize profusely to Danielle. And uh, <laughs> and and then I go out and just walk around, take pictures and stuff. And I, I do the touristy, you know, the ugly American thing. Um, and I have a good time. What I find out is the people that actually kind of stayed through this. So the two people, the only two people that didn't go out that night was myself, uh, Serena because she actually did the exact same thing I did. She landed and just crashed out. And Sasha, because he was booked. Everyone else, including Destiny's husband, Tim, uh, landed in town. Oh, and Danielle's husband, John. They all land in town, and they are you know, burning the candle at both ends, but then they go and they, they have a nice dinner in Frankfurt, 
And then they go out and Sasha tells them the one thing they have to do when they're in Frankfurt specifically is find something called currywurst, which is just a sausage, but it's made with curry spices. So increasing levels of heat. So being Americans, and I can't think of a better way to put that, being Americans, they decide we need to get the hottest thing they have because a lot of us are from Texas or from the South. We can handle heat. And they all basically partake at different levels. Turns out something went a little sideways in those recipes. So <laughs> the story I heard when I got up the next morning and I'm running around trying to find everything. Uh, actually, Chris O'Brien also didn't go because he just decided to step out and not get street meat. Um, was I was like, why is everyone just kind of down? And everyone basically said that they had basically got food poisoning the night before from Ooh. this street meet because Chris didn't go out for that talk. He went back and did some work. So he was not afflicted. So it all had to come from this particular wagon or I don't know. I, there wasn't even a picture of the thing. <laughs> I, I think the, dis- the shanty on the side of the road. Yeah. Yes. They're disavowing <laughs> all knowledge of this. The worst. So everyone's basic and the room for some reason they do this overseas. I ran into the same thing when I was in the Czech Republic working with people is Every the temperature of every room and maybe it's a Celsius conversion thing. The temperature in every room is like 85 degrees. Every room is like every meeting oh, room every, is so wow. hot. It feels like an old age home. Like I, oh. when I go in there, I want to fall asleep. Dude, I keep my hotel rooms at like 65. I would. Oh my goodness. So do I. So we're all in there. So we start opening the doors or opening the windows, which thankfully we could open. So we open the windows. Turns out we're like right next to a bus stop. So, uh, so the diesel, diesel, and the noise coming in. Everyone, everyone starts looking a little green. So we selectively choose which windows are open. I mean, Destiny, Danielle, both of their husbands, everybody is like. Uh, the worst hit is Kristen. So Kristen from UX. Yeah, yeah. Kristen doesn't show up for her session. Oh no. Kristen is so bad that we are taking basically at every single break, someone is taking her up a liter of water. Yeah. To her room. That's better than a liter of cola. That's true. But it got to the point where we were like, you want still water, right? And she's <laughs> like, it doesn't even matter now as long as it's H2O. And I'm like, that <laughs> sucks. So we're doing that. And she's, so what we ended up doing, we had basically it. 45 minutes or an hour blocked. So what we ended up doing, and it's making its way to this year's swug, though not for the same reason. Please, God, not the same reason. Um, this year, we're actually going to do something uh, we're calling open sessions or uh, feature requests live. So we're gonna have some <laughs> people. We're gonna have some people stand up in front of the room, and be like, "What do you want?" And we will start writing them down on a board, you know, either a flip chart or an actual board. And they'll say, I want this, I want that, I want this, and you know, get a little more explanation and details from people and write it down. And then Danielle's gonna take all that content or someone else, I presume it's gonna be her, it may be me, and put all those options into Slido and then let people live vote on them while they're there. You have, you're gonna put dark theme in there, right? I am going to put nothing in there because every time I put dark theme in there, I get a dirty look from Danielle. And then I get a worse look from other people. She's doing it. She doesn't want it to be a thing. I was like, you've missed the boat. It's already a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I need to go to the favorite thing is. What's that? When you guys do the swugs and I can somehow find your 
Slido links to ask questions and ask random questions from afar when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, why Why have I not trucked? Jeremy, we're doing that. <laughs> Are you going to troll us? Oh, yeah. We should coordinate this, yes. Somebody has to put dark theme on there if you're too scared. I'm not too scared. I've done it every single time. But the whole thing here is we really want to get the community because you guys have, you know, you put feature requests up and yeah. there's hundreds of them, thousands of them. But it's, God, there's no nice way to say this. It's literally in a swag. It's practically a captured audience. And yeah, we're going to get yeah. things there we're not going to get. And people don't have to. And since they can use Slido to even say, hey, this is the thing I want, they can choose to remain completely anonymous. And we were talking earlier. They're generally IT people, and it is a stereotype, but it's a generality. Generally, IT people historically have been introverts. And that means they don't want to you know, raise their hand all the time. They just want to kind of nod and smile and then do their own research and do the stuff behind the scenes. But if you can ask a question completely anonymously, that kind of yeah. empowers those people. That's huge. For sure. I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm never I'm never comfortable or confident asking or talking about those kinds of questions in large groups. I just I yeah. just never will be. I'm, yeah. It's 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 a little different if it's at your company where you're a member of IT. Everyone knows who you are and knows where you contribute. If you're in a room full of these people, I'm never the one standing up asking a question. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Pro tip for anyone who has to talk to anyone. Right. Don't be that presenter who's like, no, we're not doing anything till everybody stands up and says hi to each other. Those are horrible people. So at my previous <laughs> company, uh, a, a new CIO was brought on board and he was military and he would always do presentations and stuff. And he always wanted to tell people to sit up front. He'd even give Starbucks cards out for people up front. But you can guess where the majority of IT was, which was not up front. The back three rows. Exactly, back three rows. So eventually it got to the point that he started complaining to managers about people sitting in the back three rows. And you know what happened? People still sit in the back three back rows. rows. Yeah. Why are you going to change that? This is <laughs> you, If you make people uncomfortable in meetings, whether it's an event-style meeting or whether it's any meeting anywhere, if you make people uncomfortable, they're going to be less engaged. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I get it, right? I, I, I can empathize because we've been the people that have to talk at the front. And if you're talking to six empty rows and then a bunch of people in the back that you can't really create a, an audience connection with, it's hard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, right, you're you're the one giving the speech. You know, you, you kind of volunteered, either actively volunteered or chose that career path that put you there. You know what I mean? Like you, you shouldn't make a group of people uncomfortable just because you want someone to sit closer to you. Yeah. And we get that at, you know, the all hands meetings and every company has it. We've done it. At, I've done it at every company I've ever been at where there's an all, if you're on premise, there's an all hands meeting. Everyone gathers in a room, maybe two rooms in, you know, different locations and everyone sits around and you, you know, you get the spiel for the company and that's fine. That's great. That's the way it works. But there's always been a concentration aside from the one person who has been voluntold by IT that you've got to be at the front to make sure the video conference continues to work. The rest of IT is all the way in the back. The funny thing is, is um, it's counterintuitive, right? Because those people will be like, Oh, I need to get them up front. I need to get them more involved. And it's like, no, you need to back the heck off. And I mean, I've been in that boat where I tried to get around it where I'm like, Oh, you know, these people are uncomfortable because they don't want their names on it. They don't want to be up front. And I even tried to be like, you know what? I'll put my name on it if you mm-hmm. want. 
and I won't even mention you, but I will put my name on it, and it will be 100% from you. And for 10% of them, it worked. But for the same rest of the 90% of those people who did not want to be up front in the first place, it didn't make a difference, because that wasn't what it was about. It's, it's more like the way you make someone comfortable with that is more crucial than the rest. Like, at a minimum, I would think, like, if you're going to have to go to some crappy town hall, like, bribing people isn't going to work either. It's just back to that same psychology, you know, unless you made the bribe outrageous, in which case people are going to be there for that, and then they're still not going to want to be there. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. mandatory town halls now. They're incredible. <laughs> is, is Do I detect any sarcasm there, or is it actually incredible? No, it's actually incredible, but I mean, I, I don't know if I would use a positive connotation on that type of incredible. <laughs> Got it. So it's awesome in the original biblical term. You got nice. it. As an in inspiring awe and fear. Right. Correct. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I will say that the uh, the all hands meetings are amazing when you're a remote employee. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was probably the most fun as my company sitting there saying everybody needs to be local and on site and stuff and then when they try to start doing that remote stuff they just fall flat on their face like hey we're sorry it didn't work for all of you remote people that we don't want to recognize because we think everybody should be here and right in front of us and blah 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 mm-hmm. yeah we we can do a, a whole four-hour session on the pros and cons and of remote employees and and the realistically though to keep it short right if you Unless you have a role that requires you to physically touch a piece of equipment, right? There's no reason for an IT person to be local anymore. It just doesn't make sense. Your companies are are restricting their talent pools by making these choices. That was the same argument my company came to the realization of as well. But I mean, they're they're you know thirty years ish range. It's a surprisingly new company all things considered but when i think about older companies i don't think they can even wrap their head around that because the management the the maturity this is like something i talked about on the other podcast with jez and nick where i was talking about silos and it's in the same boat it's like it was one of the talk one of the parts was you know silos you've gotten rid of but the other was silos that you had to leave up and one of the yeah. reasons is because the companies just were not ready. And it's the same thing. Like there are people at the companies that believe in the old way and they will fight that change to the death. Even if it like stops 25% of their all-stars from ever coming to the company, because these people do not work in that state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would rather have a pool of people. And the one thing is nice about SolarWinds is they are global and you can work from any office and, they're decent about their remote policies. Uh, Leon's a prime example of that. Leon, where is he, in Cleveland? That's nowhere near any of our offices. So the possibility is there. It's just being able to find a good balance for those people. And a lot of the times there are people that are butts-in-seat workers. And I, I was one of them for years at the law firm. There's butts-in-seat workers. And if that's what you do, when you try to work from home, or work remote, whatever. It's basically work from home. If you try to work from home, you can crash and burn. And if you have enough of those people, it'll burn a company. Yeah, I, I don't think it should be mandatory either way, right? Yeah, I, I think exactly. Because there's there's absolutely people who, you know, are fueled by interaction or they're fueled by um, 
Caffeine. Uh, caffeine, you know, yeah, monsters <laughs> that are in the break rooms, right? Or they're, uh, they need that separation of work and home, right? Like, one thing I will say is that it is uh, one of the biggest challenges of working from home full time is, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's a two minute commute to work, you know, it's mm -hmm. a two minute commute at the end of the day. So you lose that, you know, traditional drive time for decompression, right, where you would just like throw on a podcast or read a book or whatever. And it, it's a two-way street, right? Like you have to really be, uh, I hate to say made for, right? But you have to be the, a certain type of person to really flourish in a remote setting because it it is very easy to get into bad habits. You know what I mean? It seems like you ha have to actively disconnect. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the bigger challenges that, you know, wraps me into like always checking Slack and Outlook and stuff like that, right? Is because realistically i'm kind of always at the office you know mm -hmm. yeah well that's same thing happened at the law firm I, they they gave me a vpn router and taught me how to set it up and i had a basically a hardwired connection for three ports in my house that were connected to the corporate network which was great i didn't have to worry about vpning it just tunnel was always there i could do my work and for me the reason i really wanted it was our change windows were nasty our change windows were Thursday nights, 11 p.m. till 5 a.m. local to the office. And it was a global company. So that means, and thankfully, my team was only responsible for the states. But that meant starting at, and I was on the East Coast at the time, so it was 11 p.m. And then 5 a.m. Pacific time is 8 a.m. So in theory, I could be pulling nine straight hours during the overnight. And if I got to worry about a wonky VPN that's over a wireless connection or something, I... It was. It made sense. Yeah. But, but you're right. The disconnect is hard to do, especially if you're like, oh, crap, there's that one thing I forgot to do. I could just make that one simple change, you know, make this thing go from 80% effective to 90% effective. And that's a big jump. And it only take me 10 minutes. And then you go and you sit and three hours later, you're like, I'm still working on this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had that happen getting wrapped up in like, you know, driven by trying to solve challenge, right? I'll, I'll try a, a new approach to a script and it, it always feels like you're just about to figure it out. Right. And the next mm -hmm. thing you know, you're like, Oh, it's 2am. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I do that with video games, which is why I only play on the weekends now. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've kind of restricted myself similarly for that for the exact same reason. I'll get, you know, that is my decompression time and it's very easy to just like lose track. Yeah. My wife well, said that to me. She goes, you know, how come you're not playing video games at home anymore? I said, uh, have you looked at how much time I spent on it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings up an interesting question that I just, I'm curious, and it's something I did not ask, and I wanted to ask, and I forgot to put it into the census that the company is doing now. But, Zach, you got a, you, you got a two-minute commute, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, my, my biggest thing of traffic is, like, if the cat's laying on the stairs. Yeah. And but and I have if zero traffic, I've got about a 15 minute commute, which is brilliant because my last company was an hour and 45 minimum. Yeah. And so, Matt, Jeremy, what do you guys deal with? I have an hour and uh, that's an hour on the train. So that is absolutely 100 percent switch. Yeah, I have about an hour and change one way. Driving. Yep. So not mass transit. So you can't do something else. Jeremy's like, no, I ride my unicycle. 
I mean, I have my skateboard, but I mean, it's really like there's no good paths for that. Yeah. He he drives with one hand. He's got the abacus in the other hand. He's just cracking crypto while he goes. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious because I know that, and it was for me because I was East Coast and the cities just kind of sucked sometimes. And it's it's not their fault. The stuff's built too close on top of each other. They don't have the inf- they don't have the space to put in a new highway here. Or when they do, then you know, 2.3 million new people move into the area. I mean, yeah. I mean that's Jeremy- DFW, that's Austin, right? I mean, it's, yeah, it took me an hour and a half to go to dinner with a buddy last night, and you know, him being from the UK, it like blew his mind that I would make that drive. And I'm like, that that's fairly standard up here, man. We measure time in hours in the state, you know? Yeah, it's not miles. <laughs> distance in hours yeah well jeremy you're down what south side of baltimore right uh no no i'm north side, north side. Uh, uh, actually actually i've been living in pennsylvania pennsylvania, 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 yeah uh, i did because i speak east coast and southern pennsylvania east he, commu- <laughs> he he commutes from southern pennsylvania to the maryland you area call the latency on that one yeah, we call that pencil tucky because the network there is always questionable, even if you're on Comcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the remote conversation is always very interesting, uh, especially for my organization um, as a government entity. Uh, there's definitely still a very strong perception of uh, if if someone is not at their desk, they are not being they're not working. And it doesn't necessarily matter what that person is or isn't producing, but that perception of them being at their desk is still very much alive in that environment. It's also very interesting, too, because uh, it gets into the more the conversation of role definition, right, and what roles are appropriate for for doing that type of remote functionality versus not. You know, if you are there to fix pipes Remote work, probably not in your future, and kind of identifying what roles are good for that, where it seems like there's kind of a lot of blankety things. I recently just was helping someone else in a completely, completely different agency, very far removed from anything that I'm supposed to be doing. And the way their individual agency viewed the remote working uh, program that we have, uh, their, their supervision wanted nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it because of account of you know quote unquote accountability reasons and and the 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 perception from the workers were they just they didn't understand it what 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 did they think they were going to be doing wasn't it going to be readily apparent that they weren't doing their job yeah, yeah. It's, I mean I, I I've heard that argument my whole career because I've you know traditionally been a remote employee and I just at some point, right, if you can't trust your employees to do their jobs at home, then you can't trust them to do it in the office. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, right. What's the difference? <laughs> it's straightforward. In fact, I would argue, you know, just based on like, you know, break rooms and walking the meetings and stuff like that, I put more hours in than, than the average on-prem worker just because, you know, it, I can multitask a bit easier. I don't have, you know, traversals i don't have walkbys you know stuff like that so right there there's an argument for you know kind of a hybrid right like if it's if it's a company that's just not ready to go remote right do three days of three days in office two days at home you know and 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 rotate them so you know you always have a certain amount of people every day in office but 
it's just the the balance is, is it just isn't there right like the ability for me to you know take an hour and run to run to pick my daughter up from school and bring her back home and you know i'll pick that hour up later on in the day or something like that right it's it's very akin to like the difference in going to like a public or a private school where your learning is kind of force fed versus being like homeschooled where you're still going to get the same amount of learning but it it's fit to your taste and your needs as an individual you know i don't know i've known a bunch of people that were homeschooled and you can tell when they entered the workforce that they were homeschooled because they were never i don't want to say challenged because they were challenged intellectually but they were never challenged on a personality level yeah this is not a good or a bad thing. This is this is a this is the one thing they had to overcome because they didn't have the kindergarten fight to get on the slide first, you know, or whatever you want to or even the, you know, making sure they stand out in class or learning how to blend in with the other people at the workforce. They've they God, it reminds me of friends of mine who are pure Austinites born and bred who argued with me for four hours that a juniper tree is a tree. I'm sorry, and they didn't call it a juniper. They called it a cedar. They're like, no, cedar's a tree. I'm like, no, that's a juniper, and it's a bush that's grown wild. And like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, seriously, three-hour argument about this. And I'm like, these are decorative on the East Coast. We put them in front of – this is a hedgerow. You just let them go crazy <laughs> in the rocks around here. I'm like, no, And they kept saying, no, it's cedar because it's called cedar fever. I'm like, it's not a cedar. It's never been a cedar. It's a name that came in with the people from California when they moved down here because – there actually are cedar trees there. This is not even a member of that family. So it, I, I, I feel I had the, re- the same kind of run-in with people that were homeschooled. Like they super educated, spoke exceptionally well, really smart people, but they didn't know how to interact in groups. And, you know, to coin a phrase, they honestly thought that their opinions were God's gift. I mean, just to play the devil's advocate, right? Wouldn't Please that – a management perspective, wouldn't that be the kind of person you might want to have working remote more often? I would. <laughs> you know, I have a nice little balance with where I'm at. Um, I actually do, even though I train in, which is nice for not having to drive, um, it's two days that I get to work from home, basically. And anytime there's really anything, they're like, just, just work from home. Mm-hmm. And it's, Weather. it's not... Yeah, anything. Like, you're doing a change, you have a five-minute change at 9 o'clock, just work from home tomorrow. Yeah, that's a that's a decent decent setup for sure. There's, um, I've heard, you know, I've, I've seen and, and heard of, you know, people that have to travel for work and stuff like that, and you, you come home, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, you get off the plane, and you still have to make your way home and, and relax, and you have a, a meeting you're supposed to be in the office in for, you know, 8 a.m. the next morning, and that's just insane to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no balance there. I mean, I used to use, when I had my hour and 45 commute, a lot of times I would stay and I work later because it would lessen the traffic. But but my decompression, like my my wife, who was only my girlfriend at the time, she'd call me on my drive. She's like, did you leave yet? Are you on your way? And I'd be like, yeah, I texted you, said I'm on my way. And she'd be like, oh, okay. And she wants to talk. And I'm like, this is not talking time. And and I felt bad doing it. I was like, this is not, I was like, right now I need this hour drive to listen to my audio book or listen to my podcasts or whatever I was doing at the time. And I need that time to disconnect, basically stop thinking about work. 
And when I get home, then it can be you and I, and I can, you know, tell you about my day and you can tell me about your day. And, but until that point on the phone, it's, it's, you're not going to get 100% not at work, Kevin, you're going to get Kevin at lunch at work, which is I'm talking, but I'm still thinking about everything I've got to do that day. I tried to tell this one to my wife too, where it's like, okay, yes, I'm on the train and I'm doing semi-mindless things while I'm on the train, but like, it's not the same as when you're truly disconnected. Like I'm not disconnected because I'm on the way into work. Like there's a difference between relaxing and uh, I just don't have things on my mind. Yeah. Well, that's just good communication practices. Setting, yeah. setting, setting some of those good boundaries and understanding what that time means to you, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important, not just for your partners, but, you know, also for probably your coworkers as well. Yeah. So you're saying it's probably bad practice to just scream at people to leave you alone, huh? That depends on what they were doing. I have to and, write this one down. Yeah. And, and, and how Zach, many. I think you said And Zach, you work from right? home. <laughs> yeah. I, I just <laughs> yelled at the dogs that quit bug, bugging me, you know? That's different. If you're yelling at people for actively bothering you at work, that puts a different twist on it considering you work from home. I mean, you know, the voices are bugging me. I don't know. What, what am I supposed to tell you? <laughs> we know we can't really advocate murder, but, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally say this. Uh, if, if something happens to you, Dana will back Sharice in the trial. No, I get that. <laughs> okay, and just it, making sure. I, I would expect no less, you know. All right. Misters before misters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, I hate my wife because she's so much better at the social media game than I am these days. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a pretty strong Giphy game, and that's about the only game I got. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are my favorites. Yeah. When my wife got into uh, looking up genealogy stuff, because that was a thing she liked, you know, like figuring out her family background and stuff, she got really good at the internet detective thing, even though she's like, maybe not as IT security minded, but it was like the exact same thing. And I don't know if she realized it, but it's like, oh my God, I can figure out everything about this person. All I need is just their name. That's funny. Yeah, my wife, what does she refer to? She's like, well, something happened to this person. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, they're vague booking. I'm like, they're what? Like, they're they're basically writing something super vague, hoping people will ask them questions so they can vent. And I'm like, I didn't know this was a thing. She's like, oh, yeah, it's totally a thing. And I'm like, this is Kevin introvert. The Internet was for there for me to do my job and for me to find a cheap place to, you know, get a sandwich today. Yeah. You know, she's she's she has mastered all levels to the point where she's actually going through Twitter now and going, Leon's having a bad day. But Heather's looking like she's doing all right. I'm like, what are you doing? You need to tell her thank you for teaching me a new word because I've got like, I don't know, 40 people that I keep in contact with on Facebook and most of them have like 400. It's, mm-hmm. it's just so weird to me. Yeah. But, you know, it's not, I, I guess weird's the wrong word, just foreign, right? Like it's just, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't need to creep up on everyone I went to high school with. I, yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't like I, high school. What do I care what they're doing now? You know, I, I won't see them. Like I literally <laughs> will never see them yeah. unless I go back for a reunion, which I didn't want to go to because I never thought I was successful enough because I have insecurity issues. Uh, so that's why I ended up in IT. 
Yeah, I mean, seriously, if I haven't talked to you in like the last 15 years, right, I I, I don't think I'm going to accept that friend request that just randomly pops up, you know? Yeah, I just, Dana and I both dropped off Facebook pretty much entirely this January. Uh, we are both still keeping the accounts. Uh, I have I have not uninstalled it from my phone, uh, but I turned all notifications off. So I don't have to look at my mother's weird rants or my cousin tagging <laughs> tagging me in something for no good reason. I yeah. keep it, honestly. The reason I still keep it is because so much of the SCA stuff is done on it. Oh, that, okay, yeah. And it, it boggles my mind. I'm like, you do realize that Facebook is like the old person thing now. You're trying to like get membership and like build up a, and you're doing it on Facebook? This Isn't is it kind of good. hilarious how fast that switched, by the way? Where it went from like, like everybody in college is using it to like my mm-hmm. grandma is using it kind of thing over a course of not very many years. Really. Yeah. I remember it, when it was invite only. Yeah. I feel like it makes the gray in my beard stand out more when I tell you guys <laughs> that I not, I wasn't aware that it switched. I thought we were still cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you need to change your icon, man. That dark beard is not going to work for you any further. You need to yeah. put some glasses. You need to, you need to change those glasses out. And like totally Dumbledore that out. Yeah, oh, shit, that thing to gray, buddy. I wear glasses, man. I got twenty twenty, brother. Yeah, I know, but for your avatar, you need to totally Dumbledore it up. You were the wizard. Oh, you you yeah. were the wizard last year on <laughs> on our recording. Yeah. And, and can I just Zach did an amazing job on that recording, especially as awkward as it is, because there's three of us behind that podium desk, whatever you want to call it, and yet every and there's and there's still like six other people and. That's a tiny room, man. Yeah. You feel like you're on top of everybody in the people camera, and they're like, no, we need you to step closer to each other. Yeah, and so, then you've so, got – So you fit in so, frame. You've got uh, Jenny and, and the the social media people or whoever, mm-hmm. the marketing, right? And they're, they're literally just there judging. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I hate that. <laughs> like, I, I have more than anything else on earth, I – despise being on camera of any sort still frame video whatever i i will do pretty much anything to not ever be on a camera and you know it was one of those deals where like you know when kevin was like hey will you do this i was like my initial reaction was like nope and (laughs) i was like you know it's 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 one of those things where it's nice to be thought of right it'd be kind of rude to say no and i had a fun time to be honest i mean there's there's never a bad time when you're hanging out with leon and Kevin making jokes about stupid nerd things, you know, so. I know that's why we're on Slack all day. Right. Well, not Leon. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I've told people at work, it's like the MVP and there aren't a lot of us. There's enough of us now that are MVPs that work for the company, but all the MVPs had to start out in the field somewhere and then you get hired on either circumstances or you just happen to fit a need at the time. Leon fit a need. I was circumstances. I got burned out at my last company and I really liked the monitoring gig. And, you know, everyone did a little different, but I, I will say that being able to talk to you guys, and it's not always at the drop of a hat, and I realize everyone has busy full work and home lives, but being able to, like, even just vent occasionally about dealing with office politics, and everyone's got them. I don't care how great your job is. Some There's always going to be that level of office politics, or, you know, that one thing that hit me today that I know such and such would think is really funny, or... You'll never believe what happened to me on the way to work today or, you know, that kind of thing. You guys and the MVPs in a whole are typically my saving grace. 
it's one of those things like if I'm having a bad day, I can jump on there and be like, I just need to have a little discussion, try to get a couple of people that 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 are there in my corner, even if it's just like, I think you handled that absolutely crap. Next time, try this. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, Same. for sure. Yeah. The creation of the Slack group and what it has evolved into um, really was a, a saving grace of, of <laughs> one of my stints of burning out. Um, I was so the nature of the work that I was doing, where I was doing it and who I was doing it for drove me into such a corner where I was so alone doing the work that like I had no one except all of you, all, mm-hmm. which was incredible. Uh, Jeremy, the words, the words y'all. No, y'all. it's not. He's pencil. He, he's near the pen. He's near the Amish. So he'll have to say it in German. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you go to the right spot at Pennsylvania, it's Yins. Don't even get me started on that language. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy that other people know these things. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll never but, forget when I started working closer to Baltimore and people were like, so you live near the Amish people? And I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. I mean, they're, they're you know, more out to Lancaster where did, way. Where did and they're you like, park your horse? Yeah. They, they like, they use horses, right? And I was like, yeah, but but their their idea was that like I lived amongst the Amish people. That was the only relation they had to me <laughs> being from Pennsylvania. Like nice. they thought that I lived down dirt roads and like the Amish were surrounding me. So you're ironically, person. Kevin thought 100 percent the same things about Texans when he moved here. And I was not <laughs> proven wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Wait, there's Amish people funny. in Texas. We actually talked about the Amish today at work because uh, one of the copy editors sits behind me and she had her computer taken away to do some patching or something. You know, it was like 15 minutes and I was like, eh, I got the time. So we just talked and I, we talked about it a little bit. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, and I had to explain where Pennsylvania Dutch came from. I was like, it's not Dutch. And everyone around me, literally everyone who's like either local Texan or has been in the area for a while, which I was like, what do you mean it's not Dutch? I'm like, they don't speak that language in Amsterdam. I was like, it's German. They're like, what do you mean it's German? I'm like, it's it's a bastardization of the word Deutsch, meaning German. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, languages change over time because people use them, like y'all <laughs> or Ewins or, oh, what's the one that Dana keeps saying? Uh, whenever she talks to people in Baltimore. Oh, People refer to their children as their churn, like the thing you do with butter. And they're like, yeah, I had to take my churn over to school today. I'm like, and my mind immediately translates stuff like that. And I and my family speaks wonderful Baltimoreese. If you want a good laugh, find the Baltimore translation YouTube. There's a guy who like literally. <laughs> I remember you showed me that. That is so funny. Oh my god, it's so accurate too. It's <laughs> unbelievably accurate. It's like that's how my parents talk. If I'm back in town. Most of my cousins, actually, no, not not many of them were left in Maryland, but my cousins used to give me crap because I grew up, born and bred in West Baltimore, born and raised with the parade ground. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, but lived on the west side of Baltimore basically until I was 19 and then moved around a little bit and ended up in southern Pennsylvania. But one of my, I went to private school and one of my best friends in high school lived in Gary, Indiana, just on the outskirts, like the bad part of Chicago. He lived in uh, Seattle, and then he lived in Maryland. So between those three places, he basically learned to eradicate 
all local dialects, you know, all of the various accents you pick up across the states. And so every time I dropped a note of Baltimoreese and I sounded like I was from Dundalk Hon, anytime <laughs> I did that kind of stuff, or I was over on Essex Way, anytime I did that stuff, he'd give me, or God forbid, if I actually had to go to the zinc and get some water for something, like he would tear me up one side and down the other about my Baltimore accent. He's like, it sounds low class. And I'm like, Baltimore's a blue collar town. It's like, I mean, it, it's steel and the harbor. That was that was the industry for a hundred years. So a lot of people there just kind of worked that way. And but he basically beat it out of me, not in a mean way, but in high school, you know, jabbed me every time I said water instead of water. And, you know, whenever I talked about stuff and it was really interesting now that I'm traveling so much with the company to actually hear these dialects from the various areas. Uh, Atlanta actually happens to be one of my favorite cities. We're, and next week, actually, God, going to Atlanta next week. And it's an amazing town. But, God, I'm so tired of southern turns of phrase, except bless your heart or bless their heart. Love using that, especially when I'm up north vis- visiting family. Yeah, it's pretty great. That is, that is the worst veiled insult you will ever give <laughs> anyone at any time. I want to use it in a business meeting like up in Boston or something where they have no idea what it means. Oh, but it's, it's just fun. There's, there's, and that's one of the things we get with this community. It's one of the things we get with all the MVPs. Everyone's got a different life experience. I've, not everyone's come from the same place. Not everyone has the same story, but we have, we've all ended up at the same destination, even if it's not the same geographical destination. And, and being able to pick up bits and share those insights, whether they're technical, whether they're interpersonal, whatever, but being able to share those insights with the rest of the community as a whole is, I think it's made me a better person overall. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see that. It's because, uh, you know, I was a horrible person before. Yeah, yeah. It gets you out of the echo chambers. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's one of the, the downfalls and and I'm sure that probably has a lot to do with why you kind of removed yourself from social media uh, like Facebook is the, we, we surround ourselves, you know, we preach all day that we need to break down the silos at work and then we surround ourselves with our own silos and our and our social lives and groups like this, you know, like where we all have different, you know, different backgrounds, different religions, different political views, different whatever the heck. Right. But we we have commonality of a purpose um, allows us to, you know, start with a common ground and then learn new things about each other that really have nothing to do with IT. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you guys been MVPs? Oh, I don't know. Years. I know it's, I know it's much longer than me. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I've, I've honestly tried to go back and look, I know that my 10 year anniversary on Thwack was when we were in Houston. So that was December. That was my 10th year anniversary. Literally the day of the swag in Houston was my 10 year anniversary on for being on Thwack. Yeah. Um, so three years right now as an MVP, I was asked to be MVP, about six months before App Insight for Exchange dropped, if that helps anyone with anything. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was a while ago, and I, it's funny. I remember. I, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. I was like, I've, you know, I, I contributed because I thought it was cool. 
was like, people are actually using this stuff. I mean, and let's be serious. Points are fun. They're completely made up numbers for completely made up purposes, but we all like getting awards of some kind and recognition. And so, you know, it was, I really enjoyed just being on Thwack. And I've seen it. awards and recognition. Wait a minute. I'm doing this all wrong. Also, Kev, you absolutely have to do a uh, whose line is it anyway for Thwack points at a swab. Nice. We 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 want to do a who's one of the one of the things was and Leon wants this Mr. Improv Man himself go figure he yeah. wants to do a demo improv which is we have someone in the audience scream out a thing and then someone else in the audience scream out a problem and it's whoever <laughs> and it's whoever's on stage's job to find that thing with that problem in the online demo. <laughs> And I'd I'm like, like to expand that. I think me and you should take a take that and and script things. Like have mm-hmm. people throw out challenges, and we just come up with a script collaboratory. I was gonna oh. say like intentionally break things before you ask people to look for them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he wanted to do that. There was a lot of things, and I'm actually I think the the session breakout this year is gonna be really interesting. I I I'm glad we've got separate rooms. Kelly's gonna be at this first one, who is one of my favorite people I work with. Oh my goodness. God, As I, I tell my wife, I, it, again, when we were still dating, I was like, if I ever work for a, a software company instead of working in the, and it's still private sector, but basically the other side of the fence, it's like, if I ever work for a software company, it's going to be SolarWinds, and it's because of their UX, and I had to explain what it was and the number of calls and all of that stuff, and Kelly, no lie, other than the HR person, the other person was having the orientation, Kelly was the first person that came and found me. And of course she has no avatar. So I did not recognize her. I didn't know who she was from Adam. And she walked <laughs> up and she said, or I guess Eve is more accurate. And she walks up to me and she's like, Kevin, I'm like, yeah. She's like, KM Sigma. I'm like, yes. She's like, Oh my God. And you, you've all heard her voice pitch, which I can't do because I'll blow out my throat, but she got excited. Her voice pitched up like an octave and change. And I was like, hi, name please. <laughs> um, <laughs> While she's hugging you, of course. Yeah, basically. And the second and the second person that greeted me at the company who I didn't interview with, because obviously I interview with a bunch of PMs. The second person who, who sought out and found me was Danielle. And I just they're the kind of people at a company, the ones who are understanding, the ones who want to make the product better, who want to make your your job better as overall. Like that's why I want to stay with this company. That's why I still believe in this, even though I haven't been in traditional IT for, God, I guess I'm coming up on five years now. They still, it, it's still, I know, weird, right? It's still the same thing. Like, I totally missed out on this whole, what's this hyper-converged crap? You know, what are these container things? That's a store where you go and you buy, like, shelving or something. You know, <laughs> I missed out on a lot. Of Kubernetes sounded like a great soft drink. I didn't know. I mean, I missed out on some of this stuff because I'm not on the bleeding edge anymore. But it doesn't mean people that that are interested in it aren't communicating with me. And that helps me understand this more and understand, you know, I don't feel like I'm disconnected. And there are some people that work in software companies and not only ours, but other ones that have just done that side for forever, the software side, which means they don't understand necessarily the pain points and that's neither good nor bad. As long as they make a viable product and things that help you do your job, fine, done. Right. But being able to actually connect with the people, I don't ever want that to stop. I still feel like IT is my tribe. Dana and I joke that uh, 
when we moved to Texas, we couldn't, it took us a while to find our tribe. And we've got a couple of them. I've got the people I do the SCA stuff with, with the archery. I've got the people I do some of the blacksmithing stuff with. I've got obviously my coworkers who I actually consider friends outside of work. I've got the MVP group because I consider all of you guys friends, even though we rarely get to see each other. I'm trying to change that. Working on it. Cannot talk. Um, Spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers. Um, (laughs) Fast forward to podcast marker three hours and 37 minutes for more on that. No, I'm joking. Can't talk yet. Uh, But being able to, you know, actually find out, you know, who these people are you connect with both, you know, in your professional spheres of influence and your personal spheres of influence. And then those spheres you didn't even know you had an interest in. I didn't know I wanted to do the blacksmithing thing. I really didn't. I unfortunately watched Forged in Fire. Problem. Bad way to start something. And I said, there's got to be a way to do this. Found out there's a local class. I can take a class. This is awesome. You know, and then it just starts spiraling. But being able to actually understand how these spheres of influence and where the elements cross over and understanding how you fit in these different parts and how you interconnect with these different people's lives and how they interconnect more importantly with your life is it's, it's, it's a maturing thing. When you realize that you really become a more full human being and understanding where you fit in that. And I could probably write an article on how that's not that different than your IT infrastructure, how your virtualization does this. And that's what Leon does. Leon here is one of these blurbs that one of us talk about and immediately writes a 17-page article about it. I can't do that. I'm always very appreciative of those 17 um, posts. Have you seen his advanced reporting thing that he started testing? I just saw part three today. I was like, where did I miss this? Ah." Yeah. Go back and he he ran it through me initially. He said, does this need to be a blah or this? I was like, dude, you need to put that off whack. I was like, that's got to be on there. People, and he was like, oh, I can just post the result. I'm like, no, you need to post your thought process. People to understand how you got to this point because it's it, the destination is good. And realistically, all of us, when we're in that tight crunch and we find that one template or that one script or that one thing that the community put up, you're like, boom, that's it. It's fixing my problem today. I can make the boss happy. I can go home at five or five thirty or six or whatever. But I get and to go home at like a wizard. And you look like a wizard. And then the next time they say, Hey, I need you to change that to add this thing, you're all like duh uh buh wa uh because you weren't the one that actually architected it. And that's why I told Leon, it's like, you want to do this, that's great. But you need to go through your thought process and how you extended it out over a couple of small iterations so people can understand where your thought processes on this and why it was done in this way. Like this is a problem I've had even (laughs) internally as well. Um, At my company, the first time around, I realized we didn't document enough. And then on the current one, I'm like, look, we are, I'm like, when we reinstall this stuff, I'm like, we are starting from scratch. I'm like, anything people want to do, they're going to tell us why they want to do it. We're going to write it down. We're going to write out why we're doing it this way. I'm like, I don't want you to be like, Hey, I don't know how we got there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody's going to pick that up again. No, and and as important, like I said, as important as the destination is, it's the journey. Oh, uh, but it wah, is. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sad trombone. <laughs> now I'm just picturing, picturing Riker in 10-4 with his trombone. Um, but it is, it's important. <laughs> What? I can't, I can't throw a little TNG in there? Oh, you can. It, just, it, took a, it took a second to register. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to remember uh, uh, some of the other names from the show, and it, I just gave up. 
Yeah, no, I, unfortunately, I did a rewatch about three months ago. All of them start to finish, so. Yeah, I we did that about two years back, and I, I still think my wife hasn't forgiven me for that. Can I, can I just say, and this is not an IT thing, this is a man living in, and maybe it's not a man thing, but it's an individual living in 2019, even 2018, 2017. Whenever I see anything that's in a four by three aspect ratio, I cringe a little bit. Like my wife, she says I broke her. Um, so that could mean a lot. did you yeah. put her into four to three, or are you just saying in general? Uh, let me give a little context to that. Thank you, Jeremy. I realized how that sounded as soon as I finished saying it. Um, so back in our old house, we were on Comcast, <laughs> and every channel we got twice. There was the standard def and the high def channel, and she would routinely go to channel thirteen to watch something on. I guess it was CBS. I don't know. WJZ. It was WJZ, but I don't remember what their affiliate is. And I know it's WJZ, CBS, because it's where Don and Marty were on in the morning. Um, (laughs) Seriously, grew up there way too many years. Um, And and Ron. Ron was the best part of that show. So watching stuff on the standard deaf channels, because it was Channel 13 on the old dial televisions, it was also Channel 13 on the cable box. But it was also 213, 313, or something else higher. And every time she would put it on that channel, I would see the black box because it would be broadcast in 16 by 9, but only on 720. So my television would leave the three inch border around the whole thing because it was path. It was passed through. It wouldn't zoom because that ruins your picture quality anyway. So and that's the way it was broadcast time. Maybe it's changed. So then I would like hit info. OK, OK, which basically just switched it right over. She's like, why do you keep doing that? I was like, because I paid for a 42 inch television. I'm going to use the whole 42 inch television. And she was, and so we're watching stuff for years. And then we get to a point where BBC America, we started watching Doctor Who and recently, and recently like in the last five years. And we started watching the new Who and BBC America only broadcast in 720. So we're watching it, but you could do their on demand the day after and it would be in full HD. So we're watching it like live from recording and she's like, What's with the bars? Why are they there? I'm like, it's just the way it's done. They broadcast it this way. There's nothing we can do. We can watch it the following day. And she's like, this is absurd. This is, I'm calling Comcast. I'm like, you go ahead and call them <laughs> and tell them you can't stand these black bars around your television. And they'll tell you you can change these three settings and it'll zoom in and it'll look bad. Or we can wait till tomorrow and we'll just watch it on demand. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I'm positive this is how it works. And she said, now whenever whenever something gets broadcast now, we're on uh, Google, uh, but there's still some channels that don't come through that way uh, with auto conversion up to the 1080p. And whenever one's on, she's like, she will literally pause, look at me and says, you broke me. I can't watch the show at all now. And I'm like, <laughs> and that's how I felt watching TNG because it was all in four by three because it was what early, late 80s, early 90s. And I'm watching it. And, I was watching on my phone and I'm like, I've got black borders on my phone. This is just pathetic. Who have I become? Yeah. <laughs> I rewatched all of them actually, except for the original series. I didn't rewatch and God, I wanted to, and I just could not get started on DS nine. I, yeah, I get that. I, every time I try to get into DS nine, I make it, you know, X amount of episodes in, and I'm just like, nope, I don't have it in me. 
Yeah. And that could be because it's typically done like after you go through, you know, TNG and Voyager, you know, mm-hmm. so you might just be, maybe if I gave, you know, mixed it up and tried DS9 first, maybe oh. it would change things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like I had someone two years ago tell me I need to watch Battlestar Galacta and I was like, I've never seen it. And then I realized I actually watched the whole thing, but I wasn't super impressed. So I had actually technically filed it in my head as forgotten. And yeah. the guy, the guy was aghast. He was like, "How could you not love that?" I'm like, eh. "I think I've seen that same kind of storyline three or four times." Yeah, I'm a, I'm admittedly a really, really poor example of like an IT nerd slash geek because I, there's a ton of like geek culture movies and and shows and stuff that I have always been like, yeah, I'll get around to watching it and just never have. Well, was that Jez who suggested, who had the video game podcast or whatever, Quantum something, and I was like, we need to totally make a Quantum Leap watch along yeah. and then discuss. I was I like, would that would be amazing. It. No, I, I would like, do it. It's, it's it's one of those that's on the list, and I've never watched Quantum Leap, so. Yeah, like, we all watch an episode, then we get together, and we record, like, our thoughts on the episode, and then we just publish that. There's got to be people that have done it already, but we would do it better, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, because ours is so focused and doesn't ramble. Not at all. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> uh... I mean, if you're going to volunteer for audio editing, we're going to make you work for it. Yeah. You know I, did, I, I volunteered Jeremy for audio editing, not myself. <laughs> See, this, this, this reminds me of Rocco's. Last time you were all in town, we did the Rocco's thing where – what time was it when we walked out? I think he – it was probably like 2.45. Yeah, didn't and they close at like 10 p.m.? No, they closed at 2, and we just kept you – know, like they just let us stay there. They closed at like maybe 11, and they let us stay there. But we, yeah. we stayed until like, you know, way too late. Yeah, we all had to get up up the next day and look semi-presentable and be at the office. and. Yeah. 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 I hate those live cuts. There's one thing I don't like about doing live. It's those live cuts. There's so much pressure. They're like, you don't know how many people, or they'll, or even worse, they'll tell you, they're like, we've got six, six thousand people watching right now. I'm like, uh, I'd rather have six thousand people in a room because then I can at least glance around and figure out how many are ignoring me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I, I'm a ridiculous person. I can accept that. Agreed. <laughs> well, you guys can you guys can protest too, but all right, fine. If that's how we're gonna. Seconded motion carries. <laughs> that's a powerful script we need to write. <laughs> Every time someone says something, it's just called apply seconded send, and all it does is send the the giphy of Scruffy the janitor just as seconded. <laughs> oh my goodness. So well, I think we should probably consider wrapping this up. Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've heard about that. We probably should have done that an hour and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the editing if you want this down to an hour. Yeah, you, you don't put me and Kevin on the phone together and say one hour. That doesn't happen.